man has now acquired a fateful power to alter nature. But man's war on nature is inevitably a war upon himself. And when that happens, that moment of we have to turn in, and instead of trying to control nature, we need to master and understand ourselves. And I think when we do, we'll stop that war on nature. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Over the years, I've seen the rise in awareness around gut health. And what's come along with that is the rise in probiotic products. And unfortunately, most of them don't work. I've tried a lot of them. And frankly, I think they are mostly a waste of money for a number of different reasons, one of which being they really don't survive the gut. That's why I love our friends over at Just Thrive Probiotic. They've got a spore-based probiotic. It's DNA verified and has 100% survivability. That means it actually gets into your gut and does what it's supposed to do. It's also vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut-free, and gluten-free. Most importantly, it actually works. It's got clinically proven strains for leaky gut, and they're doing nine other ongoing human clinical trials at this very moment. It's a great way to support your immune system and your brain. If your gut is not working right, guess what? Your brain's not going to work right either. A lot of times when we have uh, fatigue and we're tired and brain fog and all these kind of symptoms we have up in the dome, it's actually coming from down below in the gut. So we got to get that cleared out. And Just Thrive is an amazing way to do that. If you want to get your hands on some, it's very easy. Get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Then use the code Luke15 to save 15% off your entire order. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Get your hands on some of these spore-based probiotics and you can say goodbye to gut and digestion problems. Get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. And again, use the code Luke15 to save 15% off your order. In my daily routine, there's a few things I focus on to biohack my life, including my daily dose of healthy light with Juve's red light therapy devices. That's J-O-O-V-V. I'm sure you've heard me talk about them before. Now, I'm really pumped right now because they just launched their next generation of devices and made some huge upgrades that I'm really stoked about. Juve's new units are sleeker and up to 25% lighter with all the same power as before. And they've also intensified their coverage area so you can stand as much as three times further away from the device and still get the recommended dosage. They've also upgraded the setup for the new devices with quick, easy mounting options so your new Juve can fit just about anywhere. Now, some of us, like myself, like to use the Juve devices at night to wind down from the day. That's why all the new devices have the ambient mode for a calming, lower-intensity light at night. And that's way healthier than all the bright blue light from all of our screens, and it's more in line with your natural circadian rhythms. Plus, the new devices include some really cool new features like Recovery Plus Mode, which utilizes pulsing technology to give your cells an extra boost of recovery after a tough workout with the rejuvenating near-infrared light. So, if you're looking to 
to get a new Juve device from your home, I've got some exciting news. Just go to juve.com slash Luke and use the code Luke and you're going to get an exclusive discount on Juve's newest devices. Now, exclusions apply, limited time only. So I'd hurry up and get over to juve.com slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Luke. Hook up that discount before it goes away. Today is a very auspicious day for you, my friend, because you just tuned in to episode 319 of the Lifestylist podcast, Water Wars, protecting our most sacred resource with Aaron Brockovich and Suzanne Boothby. First off, I'm going to express a premonition. By the time you listen to the rest of this podcast, you are going to want some of the links and resources mentioned during this conversation. In order to get those, I've made it really easy. All you do is go to lukestory.com slash newsletter where you can enter your name and email. And each and every week, all of the clickable links, show notes, and even links to the complete transcripts for every episode will be emailed to your inbox. So again, go to lukestory.com slash newsletter to enroll. If you're on a US phone, you can also shoot me a text. You'll text the word lifestylist, all one word, lifestylist, to the number 44222. Again, on a US phone, shoot me a text to the number 44222. And in the body of that text, put the word lifestylist. Okay, on to the episode. Suzanne Boothby is a health, wellness, and environmental writer based in Asheville, North Carolina. Erin Brockovich is a consumer advocate and environmental activist. Her new book, Superman's Not Coming, Our National Water Crisis and What We the People Can Do About It, was published on August 25th, 2020. Now, in this episode, we're getting some hard-hitting facts about our water And I'm going to warn you, it can be really depressing. It's quite easy to lose hope when you start to learn what's going on. However, fear not. I want to encourage you to take what you learn here today and follow some of our guests' brilliant recommendations on how we can all come together and solve these issues. So as critical as this situation with our worldwide water supply is, there is always a solution. No pun intended. Here's a brief breakdown of what we talk about in this episode. What prompted Aaron to get into water activism in the first place? And we pose the question, is there really a fresh water shortage on this planet? And I bring to the table a concept called primary water, which is water that the earth creates. And we cover the top concerns in the water, industrial pollutants, agricultural runoff, and then treatment and infrastructure issues. Then we cover Chrome 6, the horrifically dangerous chemical from the Aaron Brockovich movie, which at that time was only in one town and unfortunately now is almost everywhere. Brain-eating amoebas in municipal water supplies. Yeah, you heard that right. It's, it's, it's intense. The rise of Legionella outbreaks, the dark truth about fluoridated drinking water, the lead crisis in Flint, Michigan, Washington, D.C., and New York City schools, TCEO, the worst toxin you've never heard of, the issues with ammonia in the water, the truth about fracking and the Halliburton loophole, the glyphosate epidemic and the good news about some countries banning it, the true conspiracy of geoengineering runoff in the water supply, how industrial vegetable farming contributes to the problem, the worst crops for water consumption and contamination, and finally, the issue with tap water in all of our bottled drinks. So as you can see, this information is pretty hardcore, but toward the end of this conversation, we get into some very solid practical solutions, such as how to be proactive and use your anger constructively, getting your drinking water independently tested, how to wean yourself off bottled water, the risks of under-counter RO machines and the best alternative solutions, the myth of Kangen water machines and how to save your money, 
a breakdown of the countries and states that have the cleanest water, and finally, how to get involved in water protection and the best organizations to align yourself with if you want to contribute to the water pollution crisis. Okay, so pour yourself a glass of pure, cold, fresh spring water and get ready to go off the deep end with Aaron and Suzanne as they blow your mind with this groundbreaking and whistleblowing extravaganza of an interview. All right, so first thing, uh, you two, tell us about the new book, Superman's Not Coming, and the podcast. What's the book about? You know, I know we're going to dive into a lot of the meat of it, but you know, what was the uh, impetus to write this book, and what's the summary of it? Because I think that's the most new and exciting thing for both of you right now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been working in the environment and water since I was 30. I'm now 60, so it's been a long journey. I've learned a lot as a foot soldier on the ground about water, working with the experts, the communities, the poisoning of water, the legislation, the lack of legislation. I've always said, water's never a soundbite. It's always a story. And it's always someone's story. And the more I'd get into communities, there was this idea, but yet this frustration. Uh, where's the EPA? Or the EPAs here were saved. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, where's the health department? Why didn't anyone say anything? You know, where's our agencies? And so it became, as I was at community meetings, I'm like, yeah, because no Superman's not coming. And uh, everywhere I go, there's been somewhat of an idea or surprise. What do you mean no one's really watching the water? So that's kind of how Superman got going. But there is so much misinformation out there. It's not necessarily wrong information or confusion about water or lack of awareness. Where would I get a water report? Why am I not getting it? What does this pollution mean? How does the agencies really work? that it became a moment where it's like, we have to get it into a book and a book that people could read, reference, uh, refer to, learn about the EPA, how the system works, how the systems failed and what we, the people can do, because that's where I actually see the biggest changes. And then, um, so that's how it started. And then Suzanne, um, as you know, author, co-author here of this book. And I laugh every time because we've spent a, we've spent a lot of time together. She knows me pretty well. I can now. tell. Mm-hmm. I can feel the rapport between the two of you. So how did you get involved in, in this so project? Erin and I have the same agent. And so like she, I mean, we got connected because she was looking for someone that could help with some of the writing and um, sort of the background, the interviews, that kind of stuff. Because Aaron's like running around all over, saving people and putting out fires everywhere. She's being superwoman. She, yeah. 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 No, superwoman's not coming either. But you're here. So that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, we need people to. Yeah. And I'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But, that, but yeah. when that I heard about it, it was funny because so I graduated from journalism school in 2000, the year that the Aaron Brockovich movie came out. So it was like, I graduated. I saw this movie. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is the kind of journalism. And I started my career at Mother Jones Magazine in San Francisco. So we were doing like real political, like environmental, you know, 20 years ago. Um, you know, and then my career has just kind of gone all over the place as a professional writer. You kind of have to take the jobs that you get. Um, but when we got connected, I was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing project because here's this person who, you know, everybody 
respects and loves the movie and this one town. And when I started talking with Erin, I was like, wow, she's been going these last 20 years and all these communities have been reaching out to her with the same kinds of problems. And, he, and you know, you think everybody thinks it's just their community. But when you line these communities up across the board, it's crazy. It's crazy what's going on. And I thought, you see, know... To my point, <laughs> see, people don't know. Yeah. Even watching Suzanne, uh, that we've shared a lot of tears, a <laughs> lot of frustration. I honestly thought there was a moment where I'm like, she's... <laughs> She's going to bail. She's going to bail. And I'm like, yeah, hang in there. Um, it, it's a lot of data to take in. And it can almost hurt your brain to understand water. Um, and it's complex. And I think we just take it for granted. We turn on tap, we have water. I think because we can't see what's going on, we're never going to run out of water. All of these things... Or nothing could be further from the truth. And the more you understand water and, and read the book, the more you're going to understand yourself. And the more you're going to understand the need for us as people not to rely on legislation. We have to make movements to give back to this planet because we're in some trouble. I was reminded of this issue in its scope when I interviewed uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm -hmm. recently and mm -hmm. his work with the Waterkeepers Alliance. Yep, they're amazing. And our waterkeepers around yeah. America are he, a beautiful organization. He reminded me of how big it is. I think I've become a bit insulated because I became aware of the mm -hmm. issues with water 20 years ago and have mm -hmm. sought out my own personal resources for mm -hmm. water for myself and family and whatnot. Uh, but I forget most people, A, don't know and B, the ones that do know don't really have viable solutions, even in their, you know, in their personal immediate life experience and, and lifestyle to supply themselves with water, let alone to go out and actually fix what's wrong. So it's, you know, it, it is, I could see why you almost bailed. Because <laughs> when I start to look at it. <laughs> oh, no, there was tears. We, we went through a lot. When I honestly. interviewed RFK, I was like, oh God, he's talking about just, you know, he started out cleaning up one river. You know, you're like, okay, how many rivers are there in this country? How many rivers are there in the world? And you get to the sea and and, and not, you know, then you get into the municipality mm -hmm. issue and it's just like, oh my God. So I commend both of you. And before I forget, I want to thank you for reaching out. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to have a conversation with you. And yeah. I'm glad that you saw my passion for this issue. Yeah. I uh, appreciate your, you know, I've been in health and wellness a long time too. And I think there's a lot of people who are really good on the food part or the farm part but they miss the water and you're one of those people that really gets yeah. the water piece. <laughs> well, it's like your blood is made of water. I mean, it's just like, it's what we are. So that's why it's always been to me such a core issue. And you're, you're right. And I have found it annoying actually in the health industry that so many people are like, you got to be vegan, paleo, raw, yeah. keto. And I'm like, yeah, but what are you drinking? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's to me, that's the first thing you tackle. Then you start getting into the food. But anyway, um, you bring up an interesting point just to even like, yeah. like, I don't know, for any listeners set a stage. I'm very visual as Suzanne knows and um, how we, you made a comment, we are water and to visualize water. And like I said, um, my journey in water has also been a journey into my own self-discovery. And so I've recently been sharing about water. And if you look at the strength of water, it carves hills and valleys. It changes coastal, you know, landforms. And when you realize your water and you find yourself weak, 
if water has that kind of strength, so do I. And so I feel we've become disconnected from who we are, which is the water. And speaking about the river keepers, and you were talking about how overwhelming it is. I am fascinated with the fact that there are no two bodies of water anywhere on this planet the same. They have their own fingerprint wow. like we. So I've really connected again. And I think when people connect again, that the environment is us and we are the environment. We'll start rising more as we learn that knowledge is power to protect oh, that's so, who we are. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I, as a nature lover, I mean, even though I'm here in the city, <laughs> every chance I get to get the hell out of here. And <laughs> if I'm not, I'm in the backyard pretending like I'm in nature. <laughs> yeah. I had an experience recently in uh, Yosemite. I went up there just for a weekend jaunt and uh, happened to take a copious amount of mushrooms one particular day there. <laughs> and uh, I don't, you know, I don't say that you, you have to have that experience to have the experience that I had, but it just, it's the truth. I'm just going to be real. And uh, I wanted to have kind of a ceremony in nature and just really feel the trees and the rocks and the, the animals and, you know, picking up little rocks in the creek and playing with salamanders and just really getting into it. And I'm sitting there and the sun's coming through the, the trees and it's just a beautiful moment. And I thought to myself, Luke, this is it, man. You got to be in nature more. And then the voice that we all hear it, you know, in our own ways said, Luke, you don't get in nature. You are nature. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is what the indigenous cultures around the world perceive as their environment. It's not like the environment's over there and I'm over here. You are the environment. But we've disconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of our turmoil in this world, I've been saying for a good year on my lectures, there's a shift coming because we've moved too far away. And I, I really think that moment is just really here that will be an awakening for us. Yeah. She's heard my Wizard of Oz story too many times anyway. Yeah, you can tell. I can see her right now. What, what is it? Um, I've been for years fascinated with not the movie Wizard of Oz, even though I loved it. I was born and raised in Lawrence, Kansas. So I was always watching Dorothy. Right. I aspired to be Naturally. Dorothy. She's out on a journey. I mean, I love this. But the book that L. Frank Baum wrote before The Wizard of Oz became a movie. And I had he, no idea that existed. So thank you. We're going to do some fun Google searching today because there's a political allegory to it that blows my mind. I've been obsessed with it. He wrote the book at the pre-height of the Industrial Revolution as a way to teach his children the power of individualism and thinking for oneself in a world that was increasingly going to begin speaking for you. So there's a whole political allegory to the book, Wizard of Oz. So Dorothy is every girl that lives next door out on a journey to to find herself, right? So you'll see in the film, and most of us have seen it, but even in the book, there is a tornado. That tornado is a representation of disruption in D.C., So as Dorothy, you know, the story goes, the house gets picked up in a tornado and dropped on the munchkins, which is a representation of the citizens who are frustrated and they're angry. And what they do know or what they do believe is she's got to follow that yellow brick road to find the wizard because he will have the answer for her. So off she goes on the road. So she meets the Tin Man and his representation in the political allegory, which has been highly studied by many a scholar. This isn't something we're they're guessing at. But the Tin Man is a representation. He lost his heart because he's industry worker. Oh, and wow. how he's been 
or how he will be treated by industry. He lost his heart. So then those two go off and they meet the cowardly lion. And the cowardly lion has no courage, but he's a representation of a politician, L. Frank Baum's best friend, William Bryan's Jennings, or is it Brian Williams Jennings? It's William Bryan's Jennings. And he's known running for a populist president, but he never had any courage. And so then they meet the scarecrow who everyone thought had no brain. He represents the farmer. And during that time, all the banks were buying the farmer's land. So look at our farmer today. So here we have L. Frank Baum's interpretation of the American people. Every girl next door, industry worker, politicians, and our farmers. So off they go on their journey to the yellow brick road. And they're met by the wicked witch of industry who doesn't want them finding out the truth. So they get put to sleep in the poppy field. So for years, there, as I've... Does the poppy field have anything to do with opium? Well, I, well, you know, I guess it could <laughs> it because been, that it is It could have been a poppy. rose garden. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't know. Could. It was the precursor premonition to fent- the fentanyl crisis. Possibly. Maybe. Po- who knows? <laughs> but... Um, that is a moment for me that where I got stuck on Wizard of Oz. I'm like, <laughs> it, a lot of it even led me to Superman's Not Coming. I'm like, do we not know what's going on? Are we buying the illusion? Do we think there is a wizard? Are we comfortable? Have we gotten complacent? Because something's not right. Something's just not jiving for me out here. And so I became very into this Wizard of Oz I think we're in that moment again. If you look back at the pre-height of the Industrial Revolution, it was a revolution. I think social media has been a revolution. And I think at some level, we have been asleep. And why I don't get overly alarmed about what's happening today, I believe we are waking up. And in that wake up, there's going to be turmoil. The moral of the story is, see, when they got to see the great wizard and they pulled the curtain back, they're like, wow, there there really isn't a wizard. And I'm wondering if that's where we're going. But what I have the hope and I believe, it's just like they learned, that we the people have forgotten. We have a heart, we have our brain, and we have the courage. And it's going to be up to us to find our way home. Damn. Mic drop. We're done. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. That's great. <laughs> with the Wizard of Oz. No, that's great. But I, it's a true political allegory right. and it almost seems we're in that parallel. Absolutely. And I love that you frame the tumultuous time that we're in as an awakening. You know, my fiance who you met on the way in Allison always corrects me and I'm grateful that she does because I'm like kind of end of times because I'm I'm going on all these rabbit holes and I'm interviewing all these brilliant people that are privy to information that I was previously not. And it gets pretty bleak when you start seeing behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. It's not that, you know, there is no wizard. There are wizards and some of them are- We're it. There but, is no Superman. We're yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Wake we, up. We, <laughs> we are, but at the same time, there are- there are humans in power that don't want us to be free and succeed because right. they're oh, yeah, drunk we'll on, that. you know, they're, <laughs> as you well know. Uh, so it's like, God, I'm like, now we're, now it's all coming out in the open, you know, and you see social media Slowly. censorship wanting to close that door. They mm-hmm. don't want us to find out. So they're like trying to plug the leaks 
so that we don't see, you know, the people that are pulling the strings and what their real motivations are. But it is an awakening. It is. Nonetheless. And pre-industrial revolution, you know, is a revelation and a revolution. And I think we're in that. Revelation revolution. We're we're in that. We're in that zone. Yeah. <laughs> and so this isn't damn. some like, oh, you know, DDDD thing. It really is. And this is why I've said my journey in the water. And I hope that we're all in some journey, right? But we have lost ourselves. And when we don't have that perceived person to guide us and direct us and reassure us or be that courage or fix it for us or, you know, um, we forget that we have ourselves. I think that this moment is a very serious inward journey. Yeah. And the understanding of we as humans and she knows how I feel about Rachel Carson and we open up in the book with one of Rachel Carson's quotes that she did in 1963. And it says that man has now acquired a fateful power to alter nature. But man's war on nature is inevitably a war upon himself. And when that happens, that moment of we have to turn in and instead of trying to control nature, we need to master and understand ourselves. And I think when we do, we'll stop that war on nature. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and get into the water piece. And I'm mm. going to start with this just because... Oh, it's not. It's never an easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with this. And, and Suzanne, you might, you might know a little bit about this because we were talking about Daniel Vitalis' work. Yeah. And, you know, there's the the naturalist kind of relationship with water. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, I've been a fan of spring water for a long time. It was something that both Daniel and David Wolf reminded me of some 20 years ago or something like, oh yeah, there's there's water in the ground that's not, I used to think that hadn't been above ground in a long time. So water that had resurfaced through the hydrological cycle, pre-industrial revolution, therefore it's not contaminated with anything other than getting water that's got too much of one mineral or something like that, right? You know, we could ruin that for you today. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, here's... Well, no, no, I just see the look on his face. Wait a minute. No, no. no but, he's not every spring is clean. Yeah, here, so. No, it's not. It's not. I have mine yeah. tested and I, yeah. you know, I'm a proponent of making sure it is. But here's the thing. And I don't know if either of you have ever even heard of this. It's not something I've researched a lot. But today, I, in preparation for this, I, I did a little research to see if there was actually science behind this. And this is something called primary water. Are you guys familiar with that term? Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that there's one school of thought that is we're running out of water. There's not going to be enough fresh water. And then there's this primary water that uh, I, I looked up today and found a, you know, a brief study uh, or a, a brief excerpt from Scientific American that says recent study document documented the presence of vast quantities of water. Uh, oh my God, that's funny. My dictation was on my computer and now I'm seeing what I said. <laughs> said the study confirmed that there is a very, very large amount of water that's trapped in a really distinct layer in the deep earth, approaching the sort of mass of water that's present in the world's ocean. So this primary water concept, which does have uh, incidentally a lot of research behind it, indicates that the water that we see on the surface of earth or that we typically see in the hydrological cycle uh, is only part of the picture that, and this isn't to say let's not work on the water problem, but it's a mm. sense of hope that there might just be more water that the earth not only contains beneath the surface, but is actually manufacturing through electromagnetic radiation from the sun and all these different forces. The water is a big cycle. 
Right. So have and it has you, been for billions of years. Have either of you looked into this idea that, you know, there are springs and hot springs in different places on earth where new water that's never been up here before is emerging? Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, this you book, definitely want to help. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, there could be. And I haven't done delved really too deep into it. There's, you know, for a long time, we've had the idea. Um, the water we do have is, you know, the solution to pollution is dilution. And that's one thing that we can't keep taking for granted that any and all of our trash, I mean, just goes into the, our waterways, whether it's plastics or chemicals or herbicides or pesticides, it's running off. And I think the earth is having a hard time naturally getting all of that out and it moves so it may move out of one aquifer system, but to another location and impact somebody else. So this is a big recycle system that Mother Nature has going. But I think we've overwhelmed it. And now we are dealing with climate issues that is going to cause drought that we're in or scarcity of water. Johannesburg, South Africa just experienced that and they're day zero um, to too much water with all the hurricanes that creates all the flooding. And then all the flooding is creating more issues for the municipalities and how we're going to treat our water. So uh, there's a little bit of both. And the primary water doesn't seem to be surfacing itself as a conversation that that will come and save us. But our focus has been on the water that we do use and that we do have on not taking that for granted. Right. So let's, For sure. so let's jump into then, uh, you know, some of the concerns about water and some of the work you're doing. So I guess we could just start with municipal water, water that's been rerouted or drilled for and brought to the surface or found on the surface that is ending up, you know, in our water system that we drink. And what are some of the and I've got a long list here and maybe you know, it could take hours to go through them, but yeah. I know some I'll of these. i take a potty break if we I, do. You know, we, can do we can do it. You can go flush it down the, the system and it'll end up in someone else's tab eventually. Now, this is a really weird thing actually before we get into this, because I have done a lot of episodes and we'll link to all of them in the show notes. I mean, I've covered just what I think is every possible angle on this, but I interviewed someone uh, a couple of years ago. Um, whose name I forget. Again, we'll put in the show notes, but he was explaining the process how in most urban areas, they they clean the water. And like what happens is they recycle um, tap water, essentially. And he said that in a city like Los Angeles, for example, uh, when you flush the toilet with solid matter in it, that it ends up being reclaimed. Uh, they have a system of filtration where mm-hmm. the first thing that they filter out are turds, condoms, anything else weird that gets mm-hmm. flushed. And mm-hmm. then there's a, once they get kind of the, bulk matter out, then there's disinfectant and purification. But even in that process, which is disgusting in and of itself to think that like the water that's going down your toilet is going to eventually come back out your sink here in Los Angeles, but that there are some things through that cleaning process and the disinfectant process, like pharmaceuticals, birth control pills, things that are just in our bloodstream that come out of our bodies that Mm -hmm. we put in our bodies, we're just putting them back in our body. So Mm -hmm. that was the first thing for me, I'm like, I'm never drinking tap water again. <laughs> a, uh, 
But then, you know, Remember, as I, we wanted for the cover of the book, of course, it didn't happen because it's yeah. not a beautiful picture, but we wanted like a glass of water that had like all those different things in it for people to really see like what's in the tap water, like the pharmaceuticals and the, you know, the turbidity, the dirt and all the other, you know, and then there's all the chemicals that you can't see, which is a whole other piece. Of so, <laughs> you know, I have a list here and I would like to actually cover them because I just, I want the impact to inspire people to really act, activate, right? And not only clean up their own water su- supply, but find ways as, as you've indicated in the book, and I'm sure we're going to be able to illuminate that people can actually be more proactive about it. But I think we kind of need to hit them with the hard, the hard facts first. So A, if you live in a big city, you're probably drinking water that had turds in it. So that's just a start starting <laughs> point. But we've got the the Chrome 6, which was the chemical in the Aaron Brockovich mm-hmm. movie that kind of spurned this whole movement. Uh, what is Chrome 6 and why would we, why is that a big deal? Okay. So um, hexavalent chromium has been known for a hundred years, certainly by um, inhalation to be highly, highly toxic. So when I uh, got involved in Hinkley, California, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric uses hexavalent chromium. It's a man-made compound and it's a great anti-rust corrosion inhibitor. So PG&E has all these natural gas compression plants that push and pull gas from Texas all the way up to the Oregon border. And at each compressor plant that it stops at, they have huge piston engines. And it all, because you're pushing, pushing massive amounts of gas So it works kind of like the piston engine, you know, in a car. Mm -hmm. And they add water to the system to keep it cool so so it doesn't cease to operate. And they add the hexavalent chromium to the system so they don't get corrosion and rust. And that's what Chrome 6 was made for. It's a man-made compound. And that was its use. And so what they did after it ran through the system and they had the cooling towers, they would throw, it would go back out into unlined pits full of hex chrome from the system. And that's what leached into the aquifer in Hinkley, California. Got it. And at the time, now I could have a conversation here and tell you some stuff that would spring us into the next place, or I okay. can wait till we get to that next place and come back to chrome Yeah, six. no, let's do it. We'll come back because I okay. want to rattle off some of the things again, just for shock value, <laughs> just to get people to freaking mobilize here. So, uh, and, and you said something about when it's inhaled. And I think that's that's the thing a lot of people don't realize too, is we're paying attention to the water we drink. Of course. I mean, some people are drinking bottled water. There's different filters. I'm a spring water guy, but then you got to think about you're giving your baby a hot bath. You're taking a shower. You're, you're taking what could be thousands of chemicals and vaporizing them and essentially turning Mm -hmm. your shower into a gas chamber. And that's not even an overstatement. You're definitely turning it into a gas chamber with Legionnaire, and we can get into that later. But you okay. can definitely do that with hexavalent chromium. And that is one of the things that was going on with the people in Hinkley. They had swamp coolers. Oh, God. So all the water going in there laced with chrome six was going through their swamp coolers oh, as that's... a mist. And these cooling towers, by Head the way. Head on forehead emoji. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, oh, we don't man. laugh as, as, as no. funny, but, no. um, but it's. And then the cooling towers also have their, the mist from cooling towers can, can go a good mile and create an air plume. Wow. And wow. Uh, after the film came out, most people don't know this, um, they use aeration 
to draw the chrome six. So chrome six is attracted to pumping. So they would take all these alfalfa fields with those big round sprayers and they were using that to draw the plume to them to aerate and spray out into the air. Well, after the film came out, um, the state went out there and those big aerated, you know, hose things, there's a name for The big rolling sprinklers that you see um, on the farm. As a way that PG&E was using to control the movement of the plume was exceeding the state level. So they had to shut it down. So it was in the air and they had to shut it down. The minute they shut it down, I even said to one of the attorneys, I said, that plume is going to march, which it did. That's another story because the entire town of Hinckley is gone because PG&E, the plume broke through. So they had to go out and buy out everybody else and get them out. Wow. So Hinkley's gone. Yeah, uh, this company's closed, looking the post at office closed. Really? I mean, yeah. Um, everybody looking moved. at a hundred year, hundred year cleanup. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I think that's, that's the other thing about this too is, you know, so you think, well, so let's say the plume didn't move and they're just taking this tainted water and they're throwing it in an alfalfa field. It's this, it's they were the, drawing it back. It's the trail, though, of where all of these toxic molecules end up in, right? So you, you know, you're you're putting it in an alfalfa field, and that alfalfa is likely going to be cut, and then you feed some cows down the road at a feedlot, right? And then oh, you we end have up eating, totally shit I mean, it's in like, our mess kit <laughs> with fucking up with the water. And then we grow our food in and we're now eating. So we could get into glyphosate. We could get yeah, into gonna, just that. Gonna, yeah. We could get into oil and gas and all of their pits. And out here in the San Joaquin Valley, you know, the tree stumps underneath the ground are just saturated in oil. Oh, yeah. We're in real trouble. Okay. Uh, we have shit this, in our mess kit. This Sorry one, for the foul language. That's okay. We, you know, I'll give a disclaimer in the intro. So can you just bleep it out? <laughs> no, we won't. No bleeping here. Uh, okay, that, I'll be I, that, I would consider that I censorship. No more. I just give a fair warning, you know, usually if you have kids in the car, you know, cover their ears. Uh, next one that really got me, and I didn't know about this one, was brain eating amoebas. Oh, yeah. Like what? And doesn't the, I'm not a fan of drinking chlorine <sighs> for obvious reasons, but doesn't the chloramine or chlorine that we put in the water, wouldn't that kill the amoebas? Isn't that the whole idea there? No, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're creating some issues at the municipal level for that reason. So I don't know if you okay. are familiar with what just happened in um, Texas. No. Nope. So, okay. Well, a six-year-old boy just died from brain-eating amoebas. <sighs> so, from drinking tap water? Tap water, and they believe he was on a splash pad. Oh, okay. So, um, like a slip and slide thing? But, you know, in a park, it's a real hot oh, day. Oh, okay. Water's okay. coming out, and that little splash pad. Got it, got it. So okay. um, it is in the system that they've confirmed that. So here's where I can tell you water 101. And this was a real wake-up moment for me. So I work with Robert Bocock. He's in the book. He's probably one of the best water experts, truly, in this country. And I don't say that lightly. He is a level five water operator. There's not many of them. Most of our major cities should have level five operators. They don't. So that means you've got an inexperienced person at that municipality messing around with chemicals. And if they don't balance the system right, we have a big problem. So Bob and I would always, we always go to community meetings together on these water issues. And he would always talk about organic matter. 
Uh, I grew up as a dyslexic. So if you think that you're going to throw science and stuff at me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to understand this. And people in the community are like, organic matter, this is something scientific. You can almost see that they fade out. So I'm like, Bob, what's organic matter? And he goes, dirt. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So we do get our water from aquifers, but most of our water comes from surface waters, rivers, creeks, tributaries. And it all has organic matter in it. There's dirt in water. So when the water comes into the municipality, to your point, because of that dirt, and we don't want all these bacteriological outbreaks and E. coli, we chlorinate the water. But what most people don't know is that when organic matter and chlorine meet, they create a very toxic compound called trihalomethanes. Trihalomethanes are very monitored by the Safe Drinking Water Act because they are toxic. So what's happening now is you're not controlling your dirt. And the Safe Drinking Water Act says if you can't control your trihalomethanes, you have to put on the appropriate filtration. But we don't like to do that because we like to cheat the system and go cheap. So we've now started adding ammonias to the system. So ammonia creates a different reaction in the water and it will actually sequester chlorination and lend itself less effective. So it's not making it through the distribution system and down the lines. Hence, we have legionnaire outbreaks and brain-eating amoebas. So these bacterias are getting a chance to grow because we're not controlling the dirt at the municipal level. And adding ammonia creates an entire new situation for the water. Remember, water is individual and it makes the water very corrosive. It creates, so ammonia is like crack to the little bacteria. Oh, okay. I'm they like waiting. I'm it. like they just two. Love <laughs> it. And so they just like, they go crazy in there. And so mm. now you have a distribution system that's going to biofoul. And you're going to have more bacteria grow. You're going to have more legionnaire outbreaks, which we are having. I did a show a few weeks ago on New York City. And I said, I'm telling you, you're going to have a legionnaire outbreak. 40 minutes later, they had two schools shut down for legionnaire. Mm -hmm. CDC didn't follow the guidelines. We've been talking about this for months on my Facebook. They had a legionnaire outbreak at the CDC. Is is legionnaire another uh, It is a deadly bacteria. Uh, It is as deadly as brain-eating amoebas. We were dealing with brain-eating amoebas down in Louisiana a couple of years ago. So this is a situation that can be dealt with. And it's all about how we are controlling and managing the dirt at our municipal level. So if we don't stop using ammonia... And we keep adding it to the system and they're not appropriately controlling their dirt. You are going to see more legionnaire, more brain-eating amoebas, and it's also corrosive. So we've got 18 million miles or something like that of lead pipes. So when that distribution system, then this is an unregulated thing. We think our water comes in and comes out, right? Oh, no. It runs through a whole system to get to you and your tap. And if you've got lead pipes and you now have a corrosive water, it's causing all the lead, all the iron, and all the manganese to precipitate out and it gets delivered to your tap. If we'd stop using ammonia, we would 
create less strain on an already strained infrastructure. We would have less lead contamination and less brain-eating amoebas and less Legionnaire outbreaks. The question I got to ask is... See, I knew you didn't want to talk to me. I just saw, I just <laughs> no, saw that happen. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just like... I always... When I hear a problem, maybe it's just the way the male brain works, but... When I hear a problem, I'm just like, what's the solution? Solution. My brain Stop just starts going. using ammonia. Solution mode. Okay. At a national and state and local well, uh, law. Okay. So if we fix the, the dirt in the water issue, we, we remove the necessity for ammonia. But in terms of not purifying the water, but let's say disinfecting the water from these pathogens, why are we not using UV light and ozone? Is anyone doing that? And why not? Is it not cost effective? I mean, it seems cost, like it's effective. Money. that's it's why money I just pay. said, really? yep. even UV our, light seems like it should be cheap. <laughs> it's I mean, light. Um, people on well water will do that. But see, here again is that assumption. And at our municipal level, we, we don't. We take the cheap route. We talk about this all the time. We, we do it ass backwards. We even show you in the book, things are just being done ass backwards. They are. And we keep kicking the can down the load. All these conversations we're having about water didn't start yesterday. This has been decades of a system eroding, cheating the system and taking shortcuts. And if we would invest in the infrastructure and safety first and go ahead and take the expensive route, because kicking the can down the line, you'll have actually saved a lot of money and lives, and our water supply, let alone our distribution system. And I don't know why we don't do this, but we're not. And that is a huge part of the problem. And when it comes to the money, if we're, you know, it's like we're kicking the can, right? So we're, we're saving the money on water treatment, water distribution, and the ultimate net effect of that, not even leaving out environmental costs, but think about the medical system and the tax on that system downstream, quite literally, from what wasn't fixed at the the point of access to that water, right? I mean, God knows how many, because we're, we're not even, we've only we're covered- We're not even there. We've already covered three we're of the things in the goddamn water here. <laughs> well, but I I'm could just, take you back here real quick in, in, in response to what we're talking about right now. Uh, hexavalent chromium. Oh my God. I began my work almost 30 years ago with hex chrome. So there is no- oversight or maximum contaminant limits set for hexavalent chromium in our drinking water. None. Because what the EPA has is a blanket chromium, MCL. And most states are at 100 ppb. California went to 50. And one third of all total chromium is hex chrome. Yet we have no standard, no regulations at all about it in our tap water system. So the state of California, when the film came out and the state went out there and shut down, you know, their aeration system during Governor Gray Davis's time, they created a blue ribbon panel to look at hexavalent chromium in drinking water in the state of California and set the first MCL. Oh, I'm freaking 20 years later, we're still doing this. So what one of the first things that happened was that panel got hijacked and infiltrated by PG&E's paid experts. So we went wrong from there. About five years, we finally got back on track. We got to court 
everything, we set an MCL in the state of California for hexavalent chromium at 10 parts per billion, which was upsetting because what we're supposed to be doing when we set these rules is as close to the public health goal as possible. That's what we should be looking at, but we don't. But the public health goal was determined by the top five experts in this world on on hex chrome that that total public health goal would be 0.02 parts per billion. So they set it at 10, a pretty good distance. But here's the problem to the point of what we're talking about. We just got thrown back down into court. Now we have no MCL, again, over feasibility studies because the municipalities don't have the money to bring that hexavalent chromium in their systems down to 10 part per billion. So we have to go back again and we're having to work out a feasibility study on a poison in our water. And so now we've almost, we're ground zero again. However, we do believe what's going to happen is we're going to get back into this and we're not going to set it at 10 PPB again. It's going to be lower and it's going to be closer to that public health goal. So money is always an issue here. The municipalities oftentimes misappropriate funds or they don't have the funds or um, they're not getting funding. So that's the problem in why in hexchrome, one chemical that we have to keep out of the water, that's one filtration system. You can't throw a bunch of chemicals in with just one filtration system and filter it. So if you have PFOS, you need carbon. If you have solvents, you need resins. If you have things like chromium-6, you need like a coconut shell. And it gets expensive. And as we keep talking, you know, in Alabama, they had a huge PFOA contamination. They sued the manufacturer $100 million to put on the filtration to keep one bad chemical out of the water. So money is a very big deal when we have this conversation. <laughs> making sense, making sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. We then. follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> yellow the money. Well, I was going to say, we were talking Wizard of Oz, but now we're also Alice in Wonderland. We <laughs> are in the rabbit hole. <laughs> that tends to happen when these microphones are on over here. We, we, we really talked about writing a children's book mm-hmm. and being able to show this in a way that, that they can learn what really goes on with, I can't think of anything more important. For all of us, no matter what side of you the know, aisle it's funny, you're anytime on, I'm, is about water. Yeah, anytime I'm, uh, you know, which is rare, but I, you know, walk by a school or anywhere where the kids congregate at a little school park and they still have those old time drinking fountains, you know, and I think about, oh my oh. God, all those years when I was a kid and I lead, used to drink out of those lead, drinking lead, fountains. Lead, <laughs> lead, lead, uh, No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't drink out of them, but I just think, oh my God, kids still use those. But a lot of people those. do and yeah. kids still do. Every, yeah. every... One of those old fountains along the street and in the parks in Chicago, they, they already know. This is going to take us back to the infrastructure. It, it, we're going to have to we're going to have to deal with that in this <laughs> well, conversation and okay. as a nation. So it's okay. So the one thing that I know has been a concern that people in the health industry have embraced. I mean, we know you don't want to drink chlorine, right? You you, you have a gut biome and you don't want to kill all the bacteria in there. Uh, but the other one is fluoride, you know, and people are really concerned about fluoride in the water uh, for a number of different reasons. There's one theory, and I did ask one literal brain surgeon about this, you know, us hippie types say, man, fluoride calcifies the pineal gland. And that's like our spiritual intuitive center in the brain, they say. 
Uh, so I asked a, a brain surgeon that, and I said, is it, is it true? Actually, I talked to um, Joe Dispenza about it too, and he's not a surgeon, but he, he agreed. Uh, but the I brain go to bed every night listening to Joe, by the way. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. yes. He is fascinating. Yeah. I, I, I love him too. I was fortunate to uh, interview him. But anyway, I asked this brain surgeon, I said, is it really true that the, the, the uh, fluoride in our water ends up in the around the pineal gland. And he said, yeah, I've cut open a million brains and, and they're, mm-hmm. it's absolutely true. But what was interesting, he said, you'd think it's calcified like, uh, you know, like the lime scale on your sink, like a hard calcification. He said, what it actually is, is kind of a, a milky paste it's very that ends toxic. up collecting around the pineal gland, but it disrupts the piezoelectric effect of the pineal gland, which is what Dispenza always talks about, which is how you generate a magnetic field and ultimately produce cascade of neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, melatonin, dimethyltryptamine, eventually, et cetera. So everyone agrees that fluoride is not good for your brain. Yet what I can't get around is the purpose of why it was put in the water in the first place. On the conspiratorial (laughs) side, you hear, well, Nazi Germany put it in the water to dumb down the population. And then the pineal gland theory would be in alignment with that because everyone just becomes like sheep. Uh, and then there's another school of thought that says in the uh, in various industries, aluminum production, et cetera, they end up with all this excise, excess fluoride and they don't have anywhere to put it. And it would cost them money to legally dispose of it somewhere, you know, in terms of environmental impact. So they worked it out with these different municipalities where they could pour it back in the water under the guise of protecting people's teeth. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of, they're using human beings as recycling centers for this toxic fluoride waste. So what do either of you know yeah. about the fluoride issue on the Too much. health implications <laughs> or where Too does much. it come from and how did they pull the scam to put something so poisonous into the water knowingly and tell us that it's good for us? Mm-hmm. How? This, oh, don't. <laughs> oh, well, oh, going back to the wizard. Don't get comfortable. Aaron always knows yes. I will say yeah. that, you know, what I learned in working on this book is that the story of water is as much a story of waste as it is like this whole thing of like the cleaning of the water and the treatment. But we have this whole, you know, any chemical that's in our water, we were just talking about these MCLs, right? The maximum contaminant level. Why do we have that? Like there should be nothing. Why would we put any toxins in our water? Well, because we don't know where to put the waste. We put it in the water and then we try to study, well, how much could go into a human body and not hurt it? Oh my God. (laughs) That's really what we're doing. I mean, the funny thing about fluoride, like when people talk to me about fluoride now, I'm like, it's actually of all the things in the water, it's one of my least things that I'm concerned about because of this list that you're looking at. But um, but it is an interesting thing because we do know, hey, most people are di- vitamin D deficient. Why don't we dose the water with vitamin D? Why don't we vote, put in some vitamin C or put in some other stuff? Well, because- We can't medicinally use our water for medicinal purposes. Yeah. I mean, to medicate yeah. a population. Yeah. Let's get serious. But- so the fluoride we had too much of, we didn't know what to do. So we put it in the water and then we later tried to make up some story that it, it's good mm-hmm. for your teeth. <laughs> right. Remember what I said in the beginning? The old adage, the solution to pollution is dilution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't work out that way. <laughs> right. There's a lot of active fluoride groups out there. The CDC's already lowered the level. They're going to go lower. I've been into CDC records. A lot of things are redacted and retracted. If there's not an issue, you're not going to be redacting anything. Mm-hmm. There's some great groups out there making great strides with fluoridation and getting it out of their water and more and more states are passing their own regulation that they won't be fluoridate, you know, using fluoride in the water. 
Yeah, if for some reason- So it's a, it's a problem and it's a very toxic compound. Yeah. It seems like in the States, we're very much behind on the public safety issues. I mean, I remember hearing about different cities and countries in Europe banning fluoride long before we did. And even when you look at something like 5G and the potential health impacts of that, there are countries in Europe, they're like, we're not having it. It's for we some reason- We do fall behind. Uh, we do, because right? we're yeah. so industrialized yeah. and- um, uh, you know, we're going to have to find ways, uh, again, to, to balance, you know, the capitalism and an industrialized nation with, you know, our, our health and welfare and, and the future, uh, how we have an economy that is greener, if you, that's the word you want to use, or safer or cleaner. Right. And we, we never do that because this over here thinks, oh my God, well, there's no money in the solution. There's no money in the cleanup. There's no money in taking America that way. And, and that's kind of the battleground that we're in. Got yeah. it. And fluoride didn't even make it into the book because there were so many other things that, oh, yeah. to that's, cover, which is really, that's, and I, we do, there is a really there, great movement in this country. There are there people that are really on it, but I very do want, much so. I want those people to know that you can't stop at the fluoride. There's so much more, you know, if we could keep that momentum but going for what, some of these yes. other chemicals. But we are right. doing, we can't keep using our source of water as a way for us to dispose of our hazardous waste, whether it be, Fluoride, whether it be, ooh, I know, ooh, I, you know, there's a couple of things going on with a couple of energy companies that are taking their coal and repurposing <laughs> it as backfill and landfill and topsoils for the farmer. Ooh, that's not a good idea. Oh, damn. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. we know in Union Pacific <laughs> and the rail yards and their creosote, it's actually, you know, they're supposed to cut it with an oil. It's actually cut with, extraordinarily hazardous toxic compounds as a way to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. So wow. I, wow. I think that that might be one of the big cover-ups. Yeah, it's, you know, it it makes sense why uh, the excess waste would end up in the water. Obviously not from a humanitarian or just common sense point of view, but it's easy to hide things in a waterway, right? It kind of disappears into an aquifer and it just- That's what you think. Right, yeah. it just sort of becomes invisible. It's not really there. Whereas if these companies dumping their coal had to make a big landfill, everyone would go, what the hell? Why are they dumping a bunch of coal over there, right? Or just well, yeah, pools of fluoride, doing, you know? And yeah, so they yeah. have very clever ways. I've thought about this my whole entire career. What are they, What think about it. What are we doing with all our hazardous waste? I know we're not shooting it into outer space. Yeah. That's a good Is it idea. Our top soil? Yeah. <laughs> like you know? We should let's, talk to let's Elon, get Elon Musk. Musk. Exactly. <laughs> Forget the 5G He's satellites, have Elon. Around out there this guy over here, he works for Elon Musk. Okay. Put a word in for us. Uh, okay. So, next one. Oh, man. Okay. One that does get a lot of attention, you know, we've got Flint, Washington, D.C., New York City schools is the lead. And as mm. someone who. We suffered, just talked about that. Yeah. I had lead. I, I don't know, it was lead poisoning, but I had really high lead levels. I worked for years. I've got it down to a manageable level. But I think it did make me a lot more dim-witted, to be honest, mm -hmm. uh, because once I started really detoxing the lead, I thought, shit, I think my IQ is going up. The more of these sauna cleanses and stuff I did, uh, is the lead just coming from the erosion in the pipes? Is that is that the issue where we hear about these you know, a whole city just becoming inundated with lead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we, we know about the lead paint and. Right. I, I think, think I must've ate a lot of lead paint when I was a kid. <laughs> well, I think, must have been I think we all, yeah, forgot that it could be in the water, but it is the infrastructure and the old pipelines. Now in Flint, Michigan, now there's two, we have a story of Hannibal. Flint and Hannibal are in the book, Superman's Not Coming. 
two different ways they had lead in their systems. Flint, they switched river water. You can't do that. We've already discussed no two bodies of water are the same. So when you switch a river water, you have a different water source. It's more caustic. It could be more corrosive. It could have higher pH. So when they switched to the Flint River water, which is a very corrosive water system, um, it caused all the lead to leach out of their pipes. Got it. Okay. And so, yes, and that same thing happened in Newark. Now in um, Hannibal, they had lead in their system because of chloramines. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. When it comes to improving my quality of life and general well-being, nothing tops quality, deep, reliable sleep. So anytime something hits the market that claims to help with sleep, I am paying attention. And I was really stoked to find this product from Sovereignty.co that does just that. It's aptly named Dream, and it's a nighttime rest and relaxation formula made with therapeutic doses of clinically studied traditional Chinese and Ayurvedic herbs. It's also got some broad spectrum extract from hemp grown in California. It's fortified with CBN and a custom sleep terpene formula. It's also independently lab tested for purity and is packaged in something called a bio wrap, which makes these little packets not only convenient to use and travel with. In fact, I've got some with me on this trip right now which I'm just reminding myself to take tonight in about an hour to help with my sleep. Uh, But it also makes sure that you don't lose the potency of the nutrients uh, as you do travel with these little BioRap packets. So Sovereignty.co is the place where you can get your hands on some of this dream product. I highly recommend it. And in fact, if you use the code LUKE20, you're going to get a 20% discount during this 2020 holiday season. Now, these guys normally don't do discounts, but we got it happening right now. So to get your hands on some dream, again, go to Sovereignty.co. Use the code LUKE20 at checkout. That's spelled S-O-V-E-R-I-G-N-T-Y.co. Can't wait to get your feedback. Let me know how your sleep turns out. If you're anything like me, it's going to really help you. And now, back to the interview. Okay, then years ago, I watched a documentary on fracking, and I forget what it was called. Maybe one of you might recall. We'll find it for the show notes. It was probably with Matt Damon. No, no, it wasn't a feature film. It was a documentary. Oh, I know it. Yeah. yeah. It's what it's on the, the tip of my tongue. Was it called um, What the Dasman? Frack or something? Oh, um, no. With Josh uh, Fox? Is that? With Josh Fox, yeah. yeah. What just... was the name of it? Gasland. Gasland. We'll put it in the show notes. Amazing documentary, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I'd never heard of fracking. I just thought, ooh, a, you know, a racy uh, documentary about an environmental issue. So I watched it and, you know, he had these farmers out there that are near these fracking operations and their tap water is flammable. Like it they is. literally- I've got videos of it. People send it to me. They literally take a lighter and light a glass of tap water on fire. And then there's these, you know, horrific stories about all of their livestock getting sick and dying. Uh-huh. And then and then I, my dad lived at that time in a, a town in Colorado called Grand Junction. Uh-huh. And now he lives in Carbondale, but we used to drive back and forth from uh, Grand Junction to Aspen on Highway I-70. And once I saw right that movie, Kansas, I used to go there all oh, the time. Really? I'm from <laughs> Kansas, yeah. yeah, right, right. Huh? So after I saw that film, I was like, 
holy shit, there's fracking wells or whatever they call them. We have two million all over the place. frack pads. Yeah. And they're and they're right next to the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing, okay, like there's there's a, you know. Look at aqu- all your industry. There's an aquifer of water right here. Then there's a Colorado River. Where does the Colorado River water end up? At least some of it ends up in California mm-hmm. sinks, right? I'm going, th- so that's another one. And, you know, it's like, I see the side of industry, right? So you see our current administration is like all gung-ho on fracking because it creates jobs and it makes us Mm -hmm. energy independent. And Mm -hmm. that's all well and good for that mindset. Uh, And then you have, you know, the other side that's anti-fracking, which I guess could have a potential hit to the economy. But to me, the bottom line is always the well-being of the people. But how do you balance out in a situation like that? The well-being of the people that have jobs now and aren't starving versus the well-being of people that, mm. you know, are having their water be polluted because there's fracking going on in their local aquifer. So what's happening with the fracking situation? What's your take on it? Well, there's a right way to frack and there's a wrong way to frack. Oh, so you can frack for natural gas without all the chemicals. Well, there's, there's other ways to do it. Yes. You don't have to do deep water injection which they do. So let's talk about deep water injection into those aquifers. That's causing two problems, pollution and earthquakes. When we work on this in Oklahoma, and one of the problems we have, they could take that fracked water and bring it up and treat it. We're not going to do that. It costs money before they reintroduce it to the water. And one of the reasons we can't really find out what's in the fracked water, and as Suzanne will light up on this, I'll let her talk (laughs) about it, is something that most of us are unaware of, and that's called the Halliburton loophole. Uh, Anytime you mention Halliburton, I know. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. She learned a lot there. I see her light up. We'll let her tell you everything about um, the Halliburton law. I see Uh, Dick Cheney's face. I I think of the the scam of the Iraq war and all of the innocent tens of thousands of people that were killed as a result of that whole thing. Yeah. So. I mean, basically it's a law that protects industry. It protects the the secret sauce of the fracking chemicals. There's a, it's a chemical solution that we're putting in. And if you live near a fracking, you know, site and you start to have, you know, a rash or you're having cough or whatever, and you go to your doctor, even the, and not, not that all the doctors are necessarily so versed on all these different chemicals, but they don't, they, there's really no way to trace what you've been exposed to because of the Halliburton loophole. You know, it's the same thing of why we don't, you know, like a, a perfume fragrance or, right? It's like they took that and applied it to fracking. And so we have no idea exactly what chemicals they're using. And that's oh, by law. Wow. And also fracking is also not subject to Clean Water Act, Correct. Drinking Water Act, like all that's these right. other environmental rules that we have in place to protect people, which are just really basic. That's like, why your water lights on fire. Yeah. And we can't, treat that if we don't know what's in it. Yeah. You can't pick the right filtration for your house hold if you don't know what's in your water. And so the Halliburton loophole is a big problem. Yeah. But we wow. could be bringing that water as you you frack back up and treat it. Yeah. So we're not deep water injecting right. a massive amount of surely chromium and, six. And for those that don't yeah. uh, don't know what fracking even is, what they're going, what the frack? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about essentially like you would drill a well, but mm-hmm. they're drilling a well for natural to gas. To frack rock. Yeah. Then it takes millions and millions and millions and millions of gallons of water to frack one well. And you're polluting millions and millions and millions of gallons of water. Yeah. Got it. Okay. When you frack, it's shale rock. So you have to frack through that rock. And that's why you need so much water 
millions and millions of gallons is what it takes to frack one well. And they have to use chemicals for all this equipment to frack through that shale rock. And then instead of bringing it up and cleaning it and running it through filters, which they could absolutely do, they just go ahead with all the chemicals that we don't know about because it's protected by the Halliburton loophole, just get deep water injected back into the system. Mm -hmm. So they'll just dump it back into an aquifer basically Mm -hmm. in that area. And that's why you have like a bunch of farmland that's all polluted and people's Mm -hmm. toilets light on fire. Mm -hmm. And they really do light on fire. (laughs) It's all the chemicals. It's crazy. You know, it drives me crazy. We talk about in the book, we kind of start in the year 1960, the year I was born. Yes, say it. Just aging my kids. (laughs) Um, but I'm 10 years behind you. It's okay. Listen, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, <laughs> if you're under 50, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> and that's only because I'm jealous that I'm now 60. So, but um, where was I? We talk in the 60s. Yeah. It amazes oh, yeah, me, the- Rachel Carson and her environmental work uh, in the 60s. The Cayuga River in Ohio yep. was on the front page of Time Magazine because it was on fire from industrial pollution. Yeah. We're still talking about this in 2020. Wow. It's crazy. This has been decades that we've kicked the can down the road and ignored, and we have a system that's eroded, that's been corrupt and hijacked. And you wonder why we're sitting here having this conversation. You know, with all of these problems, and that's why on this show, I, you know, I talk about health a lot, but I, I'm veering more toward the spiritual shows and shows about psychology because it's like as much as I highlight some of these issues and help, you know, guide people toward healthier choices. It's just, the problem here is just, you have humans that are running on instincts that have no faith in God or in the earth or in themselves, as we talked about in the beginning, you know? So you have these people in positions of power that have um, a corrupt value system because they're afraid that there's not enough. You know, it's this like lack of abundance, this weird scarcity mindset. I think that that's at the root of the corruption and greed so how do you fix that? Like throw them all in jail? There's just going to be another generation of, no. of executives and politicians that are making legislature that's too loose and creepy and people are cheating the system. It, it really is like a moral thing. It is. It's just knowing what's right and what's wrong and knowing what's right for you has to be right for everyone else or it's not right. And ultimately you're going mm-hmm. to lose because your great grandchildren mm-hmm. that you just, you just rob them of clean water to save mm-hmm. a few bucks at in your role at Halliburton and the kickback from this senator, da, 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 da. You know, it's just, it's really bizarre. I think that the spiritual solution is is ultimately in the big picture, the the only solution. See the journey? I said yeah. the one goes on. <laughs> I'm sorry. And the sorry, environment turns inward. <laughs> right. And it's very true. We don't like to look at ourselves. It's really difficult. And I think we're getting pushed on really hard right now to turn inward. I got an idea. Take a look. What if we... You know, at what we're doing and what, why. What if we put like tons and tons and tons of gallons of ayahuasca in the drinking water <laughs> in Washington, D.C.? If, if we need the people right. in power to look at themselves, I know a way. Uh, but seriously, okay, so fracking, no yeah. bueno, but there there are the ways to do it if you have well, people there's a in right, power. There's a right Wrong way. way. Also, if, there's no safety protections in place. So this is happening in a lot of industry. And I think this is another like low-hanging fruit that we could easily fix, which is that if you're going to be working with dangerous chemicals and not tell anybody what they are, what safety plans in place for when something goes awry? 
because we've seen that. I mean, you've had many communities that you've worked with where something went awry and they had no plan. And so now there's a chemical out, out in the water, loose in the, in the drinking water in the tap system. And there's nothing that we know to do for it. Well, because the horse left the barn yeah. and it is way down the track. Right. <laughs> so it's going to take right. a little bit to get it back. Right. It's so interesting. Again, going back to the water being this great solvent, right? Mm -hmm. And it has its own agenda and it's going to find its way wherever it wants to go. It's such an interesting uh, compound. Yeah. I mean, we literally put these secrets in there, but it comes out because these community, it comes out in our health. It comes out in, yeah, what Mm -hmm. what people. (laughs) We have overwhelmed the system. Yeah, Nature eventually is going to clean this out. She will do what she has to, but that ain't going to be on our time. That'll be on her time. And it could take a long time. And we have, I've always thought of it as we are doing nothing but taking and taking and taking from the planet and we don't give back. So if you go to the ATM, you have your bank account and you just take and take and take and take, but you never make a deposit, what's going to happen? We're right. out. And I think that the planet is overwhelmed um, with the, all of this. And I do think it is time for us. The all or nothing argument just doesn't work. And it's unrealistic, in my opinion, for every single one of us. And how do we strike a balance? And um, that's the moment we're at. The balance then is, is finding a middle ground between fiscally um, motivated people and well-being and environmentally motivated people. And they both depend on each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because all of us hippies that just care about the planet, like, what are we going to do if there's no jobs? Yeah. Yeah. You need commerce, you need the economy, and capitalism has its flaws, but it's still the best thing going. But it's capitalism or it's this. And we, even in nature, that's her beauty. She will strike a balance. Right. And I think as we go inward, we might be more apt to come to that table. Damn right. Meditation yeah. for all the uh, the powers that be. That's what yeah. I say. And maybe, as I said, in a more extreme, <laughs> and <laughs> put also, something in their water, God damn it. Yeah. I mean, um, and we wrote this book to everybody, really. Like, I know everybody says like, my book's for everybody, but we really, right. I really tried to write you know, and really talk to different people in a way, like it's not just for the liberal, like this is not a liberal problem. This is not like the tree huggers, like, you know, people that work at fracking companies, maybe they're going to listen to this and like take some suggestions. Well, you know, um, the water treatment people, like we're not, you know, we want to lift them up and support them. And there's people, you know, we have a story in the book of someone who is a hero. He really, he looked at what was going on. He did the right thing. And I think more of us have to start stepping up into that responsibility that like, you know, if you're going to work at one of these companies and you see something going on, it's time to, it's, it's no longer time to keep the head down. It's time to speak up. It's time to, you know, ask around and, and really start to take action on some of this stuff. Because for, I just think there's too many people for too long that were just not, you know, not doing the right thing. But we have to look at why we're not speaking up. And it's oftentimes out of fear. The whistleblowers come to me a lot and none of us want to lose our job. Oftentimes we don't speak up in communities because someone's... I've learned very early on part of what goes on with, I, in my opinion, uh, with our human psyche. I grew up as a dyslexic. So I was judged and labeled and because I was different... I was inferior and I felt oppressed and I felt suppressed and I was categorized and I hate that. 
and everybody does. And I didn't like to be bullied or teased and none of us do. And somehow we've been in that box. And I grew up coming and fighting out of it. And when I started my work in Hinkley, all of that came to life for me. That perfect storm was brewing because they too were being oppressed and suppressed and um, afraid to put their hand up and say something's going on because they'd be told to shut up or you're a crazy housewife or you, Aaron, and your big boobs running around in your short <laughs> miniskirt that is from Kansas that's a dyslexic that's been divorced five times. It has been five times. But I'm like, oh, here it comes again. The right. label, the judgment, the perception. And that affects us. And I think we've shut down um, and that is something that is so important to me. And opening all of this up in this conversation and the book, I want you to understand you can understand it, why you should want to get involved. And that is about taking a real hard look internally that none of us like what's going on and the judgments and the perceptions and the labels and it's been oppressive and the name calling and the bullying and all of that. Um, so we go in here and we we need... We need to know. Just because you're different doesn't mean you're inferior. And just because you don't have a science degree or you're a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or Bill Gates or Bezos with billions of dollars, you don't have to be any of that to be a human and to know and hear that we need each other. We need water to survive and how we can come together and make that happen and strike that balance. And that won't come if we don't get into here. Yeah. It's, it's that, uh, that dichotomy of having a desire to be proactive in the world and make a positive contribution. And the, the temptation there is to think that you can fix all of those things that are actually beyond your control. What, what you really have control over is fixing yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, I love that perspective. Uh, and that's Rachel Carson. Instead of man trying to master nature, it is about man having mastery right. of oneself. Right. And to the whistleblowers out there, to to speak to your <laughs> invitation, like, <laughs> hey, man, speak up. You know, in my own life, there's been many times where I've been faced with a decision to fit in or have integrity there and you speak go. my mind. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I haven't always succeeded in making the right decision. But mm -hmm. when I have, it's like just... If there's no feeling like when you know you're authentic and you know your mission in life and you know your purpose and when you align yourself to your values and your character is more important to you than what other people's perception of you are, that is so liberating. You know, it the is. sense of integrity, it beats everything. It's worth losing any job. It's worth losing any amount of popularity. I mean, we were talking about someone earlier and I said, man, this guy's He's amazing because he doesn't give a fuck what people think, you know? And I find that I'm just like, it's so inspiring. Even people I don't necessarily agree with, I'm like, God, that's one quality they have. And it's the quality of integrity where they're like, this is who I am, like it or not. I'm raising my hand, take my job, take my pension. This is not right. Mm -hmm. When you stand up for what's right, there's just such empowerment in that. Very much so. And that's, the, here's our Wizard of Oz, you know, your head, your heart, and your mind. I've always said, if my head, my heart, and my gut aren't in sync, something's wrong. Mm. And I'm the one that has to correct that inside. And yeah. uh, I think that goes on for all of us. Yeah. All right. As inspired as I am, <laughs> we got to go on with the bad news. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs>
Okay. We'll be so, here a while. Nobody <laughs> wants to invite me to a party for this reason. No, man. Listen. It's never at, just a simple answer like, oh, God, don't invite her again. The Lifestylist Podcast is the right party for you, Anna, because <laughs> I'm ready to go hard, man. I go hard or go home. The next one is, uh, and I interviewed Zach Bush recently, and he really broke this down in terms of the health of our soil and how that affects the health of our bodies, our gut biome, et cetera. Uh, and I've been aware of glyphosate or, or Roundup, the ingredient in... in um, Glyphosate being the ingredient in Roundup. And I know that it's ubiquitous. I know it's kind of in everything, but the way he described it was like, no, it's in everything. Everything. Cheerios, hummus. Yeah. And now- <laughs> Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I, and, I, and I'll be honest here. Like, you know, I, you met my lovely fiance, Allison, and she's really healthy and feels really good and has tons of energy. And she doesn't do all the biohacking shit that I do. She does a little here and there. She's just like, I feel good. I'm Leave me alone. And I'm- I've worked on not being controlling and getting in other people's business. But anytime like some food gets delivered and there's like a, a, a grain product in it that's mm-hmm. not organic, I'm just like sitting there. I'm literally just biting my lip like, oh my God, she's eating glyphosate right now. What are we going to do when it's time to have a kid? Like how are we going to get the <laughs> glyphosate out of her? And I'd never say anything, but I am concerned for all of humanity with this glyphosate issue because it's everywhere mm-hmm. and it's so incredibly destructive to all life. So I know a bit about the soil piece of glyphosate. Where is this in the water game? Well, it's definitely in the water game, especially down in Florida, because they're out there using the glyphosate and spraying on all the weeds and the, you know, kelp beds and everything in the water for mosquitoes and controls for like that. So uh, it's definitely in the water. You know, we have those uh, algal blooms in Florida. Uh, there's starting to be a lot more association with the glyphosate spray and the composition of the water changing and more algal blooms. There's more and more studies coming out about the dolphins and the uh, toxic, the glyphosate going to the algal blooms, getting into the dolphin, the ecosystem. Um, so this is all that runoff in the mm-hmm. Midwest coming down and eventually getting dumped into the Gulf of Mexico, right? Yes. And so I've, been of late uh, a company that's just started with uh, sensors. You remember Twister, the movie Twister, and they yeah, put yeah. all the little sensors went up in the tornado. So they've been taking sensors all the way up to the North Canadian border and they put them in the water and they're following them. And as the sensors go through, they're sending messages to um, their computer and they'll see the, the sensors making a bend and all of a sudden alarms go off, massive benzene. So they'll look and they'll hone in where the sensors are turning and right there is a big shell. Oh, wow. Manufacturing facility. And they have all their pipes and they go straight into the water. So the sensors are picking it up, but they're following them as they move through from there all the way to the Gulf and what they pick up and what they're being exposed to. It's actually fascinating. So you can almost see it in the computer as, think of it as an x-ray. And you can see what's going on inside. Um, So technology like that inspires me though. So we can find these problems, trace these problems and begin to change and correct course. Uh, Next one is geoengineering. Now I know some people like freak out when I bring this up, especially if you use the word- I get so chemtrails. Chemtrails. I get a lot lot of emails. let Let me just say this. All right. I was born in 1970, as I said. 
I grew up in Colorado and California. My whole life, I love to just lay on the ground and just look up at the clouds rolling by, right? And for most of my life, up until about 1996, 97, you had clouds, sometimes more, sometimes less, but they were clouds. Then I started noticing here in LA, be looking up in the sky and there's tic-tac, and well, you also had contrails because I'd watch a plane go by and there'd mm. be a little trail behind it. And it was fun. You'd watch it disappear and it was kind of hypnotic. Then in the mid nineties, I started seeing what appeared to be really low, these giant plumes of, of smoke or dust in these tic-tac, tic-tac-toe patterns all over LA. And at that time I thought, Hmm, that's weird. Why would a plane leave LAX and just go across LA a million times all day long? They're not going anywhere. That's not a flight pattern. Anyway, you know, eventually go down the rabbit hole and find out there is this thing that's now become quite real and not even that conspiratorial of geoengineering. So whatever reason. Yeah. They're, they're putting things into the atmosphere and you want to make it rain. What goes up must come down. Right. (laughs) So I'm thinking about shit. I don't know what it is. Aluminum, barium. A lot of people have different ideas. It's all of that metal particulate. And some, some nuts have gone out there and, you know, scoop some of the dust up and they test it and it's this or that. But I just look up and I go, okay, that stuff's coming down. Where's it going to go? It's going into the waterways. So is there any indication that this is um, also part of the issue in, in that all ending up kind of in our water system? It could become more of the conversation. Um, I've had a lot of people email me about it. I think there's some more studies coming out. I think there's some more clarity about cloud seeding and what's in it. And definitely we would experience fallout. So what started is I think everyone thought could be one of those conspiracy theories is it doesn't surprise me because I've already seen, you know, things get hidden from us. That's just the way it is. And they may be doing something that they think is for the greater good. And then it's kind of like how the EPA works. We we do it. And then without understanding what we're doing, you know, 10 years later, it's so shit, Houston, we have a problem. Right. We just poisoned everybody. So I think that we're learning more about what the truth could be. Yeah, I think um, that... When I started to research it, I uh, I don't know that I ever tried to get in touch with the EPA, but I, I guess followed some people that did. And I don't know if they still deny it, but for years and years, they said, you're imagining things. There's mm-hmm. there's nothing in the sky. This is the EPA. <laughs> See, isn't that from, the... From that uh, moment on, I'm like, all right, the EPA is completely kaput yeah. and corrupt because you're in charge of environmental protection. And you're telling me with my own two eyes... My whole goddamn life up until mm-hmm. 26 years old, mm-hmm. I never saw this phenomenon, even though there were plenty of planes flying mm-hmm. around. Oh, yeah, no. It's not like planes changed. Yeah. It's you been know? a major gaslight on all of us because <laughs> yeah. I stood there looking at two-headed frogs in green water and they're like, oh, that's that's the standard. I'm like... Right. Bullshit. Right. So like, I guess... What do you... I see it. <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, I do. It's a gaslight. Yeah. It's frustrating. It is. Well, yeah. here we go. We're, we're and one of the this first things I learned from Erin that she does in the field, I mean, observation, right? This is, we're getting back to just basic scientific method. Like Occam's razor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do we see? What are we feeling? You know, the water's coming out. It looks dirty. Are we going to drink it? No. You know, like when someone's telling, you know, because I remember that time I was on vacation in Fort Lauderdale and I should, I sent Aaron a picture oh, yeah. of the tap water and I'm like, should I drink that? And she's like, no, because <laughs> no, we know the problems down there. <laughs> but it had right. a sign next to it that said, don't worry. It's like a thing we're working on. It's not, you know, you can oh, drink the God. water. And you so know, it's like, we're constantly, I think in our culture right now, having to sort of decipher from what is going on in our body 
what feelings do we have versus like what is being told to us and Excellent. like really trying yes. to figure out what's the truth. And that's the part of the wake up. I, you know, I share when I talk about, I grew up in Kansas. I was always outside and I could, I'm tuned into my environment. You can feel the air pressure changing and lowering, especially before a tornado comes. Observation of, I don't know, 80,000 foot thunderhead over there. Hmm. It's really muggy. Uh, it's still all of those things lead me to a, an event's coming. But when the tornado sirens go off, it never dawned on me, well, let me call the weather channel and see if it's an F3 or 5 because frankly, I don't give a damn. <laughs> I'm going to safety. If we all read uh, headline news or municipality tending with rat poison, are you going to call the National Institute of Health and go, well, they say that we can have four parts per trillion of that and Mine is five. Do you think I should drink it? Who gives a shit? It's a poison, is a poison, is a poison all day long. And I'm not drinking it. Yeah. Yeah, me either. <laughs> uh, well, I already covered glyphosate, but I, this is probably a huge one here. So I don't know how much time we'll have to go into it. But there's a lot of, um, you know, it's these documentaries we see now that are, uh, everyone needs to be plant-based. And if we only ate vegetables, we would save the world. And then you have the other side of this thing that is about regenerative farming, which really makes more sense to me because it's more in alignment with what happens in nature. Um, so there's kind of this warring factions between people that produce meat products and eat them and people that produce plant products and eat them. And the plant products, people seem to think that this is the only way to save the world. And the more conscious, forward-thinking, not old paradigm, meat-producing people say that that is the most natural way to go. When it comes to the water, what's producing most uh, pollution in terms of the different farming models? What types of food are we growing that are ruining the water more than others? And is there any indication that this new, well, it's not a new movement, but really the original movement of regenerative farming where you're using animals and plants in synergy, mimicking the cycles of nature as being the best way forward. Do either of you have any point of view on that? CAFO, farming, big, massive operations, big, big, massive operations are creating big, big, big water issues. Um, and again, you know, it's almost like we talk about how do you get the elephant out of the room, you know, like one bite at a time, one bite of the apple at a time. Um, going down to those smaller operations. And that blend, as you said, it is, is a nice goal because the big CAFO farmings are creating huge problems, manure problems, nitrification problems, over-nitrification causes massive water problems, algal blooms. We're seeing it happening all over and not just in Florida. So that's right. the first thing that comes to my mind. Got it. Okay. Okay. So It's also like we were talking about with fracking, like there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I think when it comes to farming, you've got these big factory farms. We talk about Tyson in the book. I mean, they are such oh, a yeah. horrible environmental <laughs> offender. They are. Uh, I mean, they just, we, there's like a whole page of the book that's just like lining. Here's, here's where they were sued. Here's where they were sued. Here's this violation. Here's this thing. I mean, they just, you know, and all that stuff, when you get into hog and chicken production in particular, you know, there's waste and the waste gets into the water Massive and the communities waste. feel it. And, and, you know, there was, we talk about, um, Tonganoxy, Kansas, they fought a huge a chicken plant that was going to be processing they ran plant. Out on a rail. Yeah. Those mamas, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I they knew the angry wins. mothers, you know, they're the, on the, the company comes in and says, Oh, you're all going to have jobs. But the truth is it's also going to create a ton of pollution and a ton. And they were going to put it right next to the school. And yeah, the moms really rose up there. Mm -hmm. 
God bless the moms. So I think that, uh, well, actually, okay. So that's in terms of water pollution. In terms of You left out TCE. There's a lot of things. (laughs) I'm not done. I'm just checking. I got my list. (laughs) Like, whoa, wait a minute. We're not done. You know, I got my list. Sometimes I backtrack. (laughs) There's a method to my madness. So in terms of pollution, okay, the the big CAFO farms. and And I'm assuming on that note, many of the you know, monocrop industrial, you know, wheat, corn, what we would call like vegetarian. It must be good for the planet. A lot of that production is probably uh, full of pollution too. But in terms Mm -hmm. of water consumption, I recently watched another documentary that was about the uh, kind of the water wars in California and they went into the Central Valley. And I was astonished to see not only how they're warring over the aquifers and this guy has a property over here and he's stealing water from the aquifer that he doesn't have rights to. And that, that whole part of it, the territorial thing was really interesting, but I was shocked to find that almonds were one of the worst offenders in terms of just water waste and consumption. Yeah, Cause they need so much water. And yeah. I'm thinking all, you know, all these hippies going to Whole Foods yeah, buying their almond, almond milk and almond butter. I'm like <laughs> thinking, oh, we're saving the planet cause we don't need a burger. You know, it's like, well, I don't know which is worse. So in terms of, you know, the hierarchy of water waste or, are nut trees like almonds some of the worst? Yes. In terms of like the calorie output that's going to feed the planet versus how much water is being wasted? Yes. There's that, that is very true of the almond trees. And, you know, I see certain places throughout California. One of the first trees um, in Hinkley that I noticed was dying was the tamarisk tree. And they suck up a lot of water. So a lot of places in California have actually been removing the tamarisk trees for that reason because they're taking the water. So almonds are a problem. Um, certain trees, um, yes. Are there any and other? And they say they those these almond orchards should be maybe more in the south where they're naturally getting a lot more water than California's because we're certainly having water issues and a drought. Right. And water right problem. You know, you may not know this, but uh, LA Southern Municipal Water District just lost their backup aquifer. Um, out by Bakersfield because um, it's so polluted. They can't use it anymore. Wow. So we're in trouble if we start losing our backups Damn. and we have a drought. All right, I'm out of here. I'm going to let Ellie burn. <laughs> <laughs> One more reason. Um, it's been 31 yeah, years. Know, I think about real. that too. I'm like, do I stay and I help or do I bail? Um, right. And we have some issues and this is where we, I know you're going to go there, but um, there's things that I think we have to to decide legislatively and um, I think there's ample room for us to, we are dealing with antiquated laws and legislation, and there's plenty of room for us moving forward to reform, like lead and copper rule. People don't understand the lead and copper rule states that you only have to test for lead in the municipal system once every four years, and you can average your samples. Oh, it's damn. a great way to miss a number. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's why we have so many lead contamination <laughs> so, outbreaks. Oh my God. We need to, and uh, Congressman Dan Kildee's working hard to get reform to the lead and copper rule. Mm-hmm. And we have thousands. Wow. Of rules okay. like that. But We're, when you talk about the almond trees or, you know, yeah. agriculture, I mean, that's water scarcity issues, which is again, something we didn't even have room for in the right. book because well, again, right. it requires so much water. Yeah. Like we have this whole scarcity issue happening, but on top of that is the toxins. And like a lot of these trees are getting watered with toxic water. So it's, it's really, oh this God. is why we, this is why I like, was crying at night working on this uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she would. She, I, 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 
there was days she'd talk me off the ledge and days I'd talk her yeah, off the ledge. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's true. overwhelming. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Honestly, it's. I've, sometimes I want to apologize to listeners of the show because there's there's always some bad news. But we are going to move into solutions. But yeah, as this, I said. Bef- before we do. Don't invite uh, me to a party. There, There Don't is one last there. thing. You covered the... Um, Okay, we did fluoride, we did lead, ammonia you did, which is on my list, the fracking, glyphosate, geoengineering. The one thing we didn't cover, which you indicated, was TCE. Mm-hmm. Trichloroethylene. Well, we didn't cover all 40,000 plus chemicals. <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't want to do I'm that to you the, today. I'm going for the big dogs here, the yeah, low-hanging yeah, fruit. Yeah, yeah. Trichloroethylene. It's a solvent widely used by industry, and, and it's... We're making some progress. So we do talk about trichloroethylene in the book and what happened at Camp Lejeune. Um, And by ATSDR's own admission, which is the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, they operate under the CDC or they're a part of CDC, states that up to 1 million returning soldiers and their families from this one base could have a risk of exposure to this trichloroethylene, which is a known cancer-causing compound. And there's, they've already seen a lot of death. One thing that we need to look at, and I'm careful about this um, simply because I'm a military mom. I have two children that served my son, by the grace of God, home from Afghanistan. But our Department of Defense is one of our worst polluters. And this TCE had been heavily used with the dry cleaning facilities at Camp Lejeune. And um, the well that supplied the housing was poisoned and they told no one. Oh, burn. And uh, Jerry Insminger, who's probably one of the greatest guys I know, we talk about him in the book, has taken this all the way to the Supreme Court just to get recognition from the Department of Defense that this chemical be on their list in the vet VA. So if these people are exposed to it, they can at least get treatment. It's been a horrible fight. They still haven't cleaned up. Um, they have all these exemptions. And he came home and his six-year-old daughter died in his arms from leukemia. And they kept a secret. I think that's the biggest blow for everybody at all. The secrets, yeah. whether it's DOD yeah. or these companies keep, um, is very disturbing. So trichloroethylene is widely known to be uh, highly toxic. It's a degreaser. It's been used by Lockheed, Boeing, across the board, all over this country. But to my point earlier that I made on Superman's not coming, and we don't have to wait for some federal oversight, um, in Minnesota, where 3M is, they have huge TCE contaminations. Um, A community had enough. They rose up. They got the media involved. They followed the story. And the governor, a few months ago, banned the use of TCE in the state of Minnesota. Right That's the right way to go. That's so awesome. And no rioting or looting necessary. Mm -mm. Just pissed off moms. (laughs) Oh, they're amazing. I'm telling you, just get out of the way and let them on through because they're relentless and they don't tire. Uh, Yeah. We talk about stick-to-itiveness. I learned from my mom, propensity to follow through in a determined manner, dogged persistence born of obligation and stubbornness. And that is precisely what they are. Yeah. They're well, determined, dogged, persistent, stubborn, and they're going to get the job done. And they don't care if it takes seven years or eight years or two years. Well, I think in in that uh, situation there, personally, there's, you know, you always think about kids, right? Those are the, we really want to protect, well, really the unborn and then the newly born and adolescents. 
But I think adults wise, I, I personally, even though I've never been in the military, when the military gets fucked over, it really pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Cause these are kids coming out of high school oftentimes that, you know, actually have an earnest desire to serve the country and protect and help the rest of us, whether or not, you know, these mm-hmm. wars, I don't believe in the wars anyway. They never <laughs> seem to have a good reason for it. Uh, and they're kind of a scam. But nonetheless, I think most people in the military are very well-intentioned and they just sure. get screwed over. And when they get poisoned and they're neglected, it's like, God, that really says something about your country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not that anyone should get screwed over, but it's like, dude, these are the, this is the front line of the entire mm-hmm. operation here. Well, they so make I'm, it home from war Yeah, for their perception as my son, service of duty to their country and love for their family and, and all of that. And then you poison them on their own soil and they make it home from a war. That's a real blow. That's brutal. That's brutal. Well, I'm glad to hear there's some progress being made there. There is. Um, and, and with the TCE and uh, we hope more with the Department of Defense. And uh, it's, a, it's a real game on in there. And I just, um, when it comes to these soldiers and we just really need to be transparent about some of the chemicals and we don't give anyone a standing chance. We're sitting ducks if we're not told the truth. And that, that seems to be the misgiving that if we tell the truth, we're going to flip out. It's not telling us the truth that I think causes us to just flip our shit. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, uh, the different countries around the world and the different states in the United States, what are some of the safest and ones that are doing it right and making some progress versus some of the worst? Like, I guess, starting with the world. I mean, America, uh, I'm assuming is better than a really highly polluting country like China or India or some of these massive, you know, well-populated countries. Where do we stand kind of in the global stage in terms of contamination of the water? Well, we have a national water crisis. There's no, no question about that. But we do have some of the safest water in America. But we're, we're really teetering on a slippery slope because we have infrastructure issues, because we're not dealing with the issue. We're not being prepared for the changes that are coming that are here uh, on not having the safest water. I think for me, what's disturbing me is there's many smaller towns and locations in the area, and we talk about Martin County, Kentucky, and certain places in Texas where they don't have running water, where they don't get it for five, 10 days at a time. So are we already flipping third world? Is that already here? Then there are municipalities that are trying to do everything right. And um, this is, again, where we can make a bigger difference in our own backyard, with our own city council, within our own states, for we, the people, to push for what's going to be our priority. California tries to do well. It used to be, so goes California, so goes the nation. They do, they're the first ones to make an effort with the Chrome 6 and in our drinking water. You do see in Minnesota, they're making an effort with one chemical, um, uh, the TCE, and keeping that out of their system. Uh, we, we see some municipalities, even in Long Island, that are trying to do the best Because Long Island was a dumping ground and we have a lot of problems up there. Every filtration, every solution, every way they can look at, they're making those efforts. And then there's a lot that aren't. One thing that we need to look at is we have about 40 million Americans on well water, which is a system off the grid. And I'll tell you, eight times out of 10, the worst contaminations we find is in well water because it's not monitored by anybody or anything. And the homeowner really needs to be 
certain that they are testing at least yearly for pollutants in their waters. Perfect segue. Good. So when I'm looking at houses and they're on a well, I'm always like, yes, I'm, I'm not dependent on the city. But then I know because I'm a water freak, I'm going to have to get the well water tested. Mm-hmm. So that's really good information there. Um, moving into you know, kind of the, the microcosm of our relationship with water outside of activism. And I've done shows on this. We don't have to go too deep, but it seems if you are in a position where you have a local-ish spring to go get your spring water, it'd be a good idea to have that tested in the event that that mm, water is, sure. you know, some are better than others. I know the spring water I drink from live spring water and delivered in California from Oregon. Uh, shout out to them. It's Well, Oregon's they, got some. They send me the lab results and it's like, wow, it doesn't get much cleaner. Um, well, parts of uh, Oregon, now parts of Oregon definitely have problems, but they do have aquifer water. They have springs. Colorado's the same. So there right. are a couple of places where... You know what? Do do you have a lab that you would recommend if someone wants to get their well water tested, or if they're a spring water drinker like myself, they can get it tested for well, safety? Well, it would depend where you're at because different states have different labs that will come out and do different types of testing. Some won't do, you know, the EPA protocols of 1050, which is a big sweep. Some will. It can get costly, but it's definitely worth it yearly, if not, you know, but you know, once every two years, getting your water tested to. So you have that background. So you you have a platform, but a lot of, obviously you can call the health departments. They're going to come out and they're only going to look for E. coli and bacteria. You're not going to get much else. Um, But you need a suite because many of these wells, and my sister's on well water and they live up in Silver City, New Mexico. She's basically off the grid, but they rely on well water and they have a massive, massive mine, not very far from them. So we have to remember, you know, water doesn't, get polluted in an aquifer and it sits there. It moves. And so she, uh, I've just talked to her again, you have to test your well again. So you have a baseline of what the water is like, whether in and not just the, you know, acidicness or the pH or any of that. Bacteria is of course, yes. But beyond that, you could have, like we're dealing with the PFOA and the PFOS, which is the Teflon and the Scotchgard which is the largest emerging contaminant throughout the history of this country. It's just everywhere. Those things pop up pretty fast in well water. We have that happen in Hoosick Falls, New York. We talk about that in the book. This is a visual on this chemical. Yeah, It took the children of that town to put their PFOA blood levels on a placard card and wear it around their neck and march on the, their state capitol <laughs> to get Governor Cuomo to change the statute so they could move forward in wow. their lawsuit against the company that wow. knew. Visualize that. America's children, and that's their message. My PFOA blood levels on a placard card worn around my neck, and that's how they identify themselves. Brutal. Yeah. Okay, so... We're going to have the water we're drinking on a regular basis tested. And when it and comes, well water, yes. And well water, yeah. When, and when it comes to the testing, you know, there's a lab and I'll put in the show notes, but I, I did find a good lab at some point uh, that's, that's quite thorough that I think they're the ones that I got from uh, the live spring water uh, testing. And they're around, so it depends. I can't answer that question yeah, yeah. just generally. Sure, sure. And depends I'll, where I'll you live. I'll do a little more research and we'll put it in the show notes, which for this one are going to be quite extensive. <laughs> uh, but what I find interesting about water testing is 
at every year or so, because I buy my water from the Department of Water and Power in Los Angeles, and they send me their water report, and they're always so proud yes. of how good the water is. And I'm, I'm looking at like the, the base detectable levels of what's allowed of all this shit, and I'm going... That might be fine for you. I ain't drinking that stuff. Like you gotta mm-hmm. be kidding me. But it's that's just insane. A fact. Just because there's a guideline or an MCL does not, in fact, deem or render that it is safe. We'll go back to the Chrome Six and the MCL at ten part per billion, but the public health goal is 0. 0.02. Let's talk about this real quick. I've just found my spot to jump in here. We were just talking about PFOA, perfluorooctanoic acid, PFOS. They would be known as Teflon, Scotch Guards, firefighting foam. It's as pervasive in the environment as glyphosate. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Decades ago, the manufacturer 3M notified the EPA that this chemical was a very bad actor. The agency knew. So noted, we'll set a guideline for this chemical in drinking water. They set it at 400 parts per trillion. Don't know where that number came from. They pulled it out of a rabbit's hat, but it's 400 parts per trillion. So we go. So all the municipalities can run this through their system up to 400 parts per trillion. And mind you, any chemical that's below that number, they don't have to report. So you could have 399 parts per trillion in your water, but as long as it's not 400, they don't have to report. So EPA commissions a study. This is how they work. And one study for one chemical can cost millions and millions of dollars. These studies take a very long time. They can take 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, 18 years to conclude what a chemical does in the environment. Here's this first moment where I'm like, why would you not do a study first to show what it does before you put it into the environment? But that's not how we work. Chemical lobbyists are very, very strong. These corporations are very, very strong. So that's how it goes. So guess what happened about five years ago? Well, this is a moment where I believe science is catching up with policies. This one chemical causes cancer and a variety of diseases. I think 12 of them are listed. So they notify the EPA and the EPA is like, oh shit, Houston, we have a problem. Well, we're going to have to take that 400 parts per trillion, which is a guideline. Now that the study's done, what are we going to do? Oh, we'll reduce it to 70 parts per trillion. And then all the municipalities are screaming their heads off because they're like, we don't have the filtration or the money to reduce it to 70 parts per trillion. You told us we could run 400 parts per trillion through the system. And then what happens to me is everybody emails me. I live next to this base that's been using this chemical. I just got a notice from my municipality. It's in our system. Is this why my son has testicular cancer? And he's being treated in Switzerland? Is this why my wife died from kidney cancer? Is this why my daughter has thyroid cancer? It just like blows up. What are we possibly thinking? The system is ass backwards. This isn't a one-off. This is how it works. In the system first, then we commission a study and we'll find out 10, 12 years down the road what the hell we've just done. That one chemical explains a lot. And so... We're now setting state by state. Some are down to 12, New Jersey, because they have PFOA, PFOS everywhere. CDC is looking at doing it much lower. It could be around five. So here we are. Let's say it's at 70 parts per trillion. You don't even know the outcome. We're running something through the system. Don't think that guideline or that MCL, because it's set, 
deems it safe. And if it's below it and you still don't even know it's safe, they don't have to report it. That's a... mm, Wow. That one messes with you. Yeah. That is an eye-opener. That is a wake-up call. Wow. So this is about... uh, A false sense of security. On a personal level, then, you're taking matters into your own hands and really being in charge of your own water is is really important, which of course I've been an advocate for for a long time. Uh, on that note, there's something that's always troubling to me and that is bottled water for a number of different reasons. Okay. Yeah. A, what aquifer or spring did it come out of or did it even come out of an aquifer or spring or is it just yes. municipal water that's been filtered? Mm-hmm. How has it been filtered? How did they know what needed to be filtered? Even and then of course the plastic pollution and you know all of that single use bottles and whatnot ending back up in the water through the in the ocean right landfills etc. But the issue there for me is even if you're really picky about water like I tend to be anytime anyone buys a bottled drink from a bottle of wine to a beer to a the healthiest organic kombucha you know a juiced carrot a juiced cucumber anything that is constituted from water you don't know what the source of that water was. And so even if like your drinking water is on point. You got to know your source water. Yeah, it's man. It's like you go into Air One and you buy any number of drinks in there for 8 to $12. <laughs> and there's one of the ingredients is going to be water. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky, it'll say filtered water. Even then I'm like, well, by whom? Mm-hmm. By what medium? Uh, but some of them just say water. If it just says water, I'm like, that's tap water. Otherwise, anyone in marketing would know. Let's put in our ingredient deck, at least that it's filtered water. Best case scenario, you'll find uh, reverse osmosis water. Then you know at least it's been stripped, and then they make a drink out of it. So uh, most bottled waters are put through their tap water gone through reverse osmosis. Some are springs, but you have to be careful with springs. Sometimes there there are contaminants in that, or they'll have an, another issue, and you have to be careful with bottling how long it's been sitting. You know any bacterial buildup. Uh, we all know about the plastics. I travel constantly and. A convenience, and sometimes you have to rely on bottled water. Um, I try to look for glass. Uh, I can tell you, I've been in. <laughs> well, I can tell you a couple of things on some of my worldly travels where I'm not going to drink the water. I can assure you, I can go a good 16 days without a shower. Sorry, I'm not getting <laughs> in the water. And I can survive on beer as long as I pop it and I know it's been sealed to brush my teeth with and to gargle with because I'm not drinking that water um, right. because I don't know the source. But Suzanne brings up a great thing uh, for those of us that travel and have all of these questions and you can overwhelm your mind. It's the power of observation, um, a common sense set of skills, that intuition that you I get often and I know most of us, I think I'm going to pass on that situation. So... Uh, because you oftentimes can be in place where you won't know where your source water is. And right. any headwaters or source waters definitely as we're kind of watching as it goes down is going to run through a whole source and a whole plethora of situations where it could have picked up low-level contaminants. Got it. Yeah. And we talk about, I mean, it's kind of a triage situation with bottled water. Like mm-hmm. the people of Flint, it saved many lives being Correct. able to drink that we bottled saw that water. In Virginia with that. Um, yeah. People uh, that don't the have big contaminant that came down. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to watch. So if there's a pollutant upstream, what the municipalities do is they close their intake valves in the river and they just let the pollution run by. Yeah. Bye bye pollution. So if the wow. person down the stream doesn't close those intake valves, 
they'll suck it up. Wow. Damn. But it's important to know too, because I think so many people like in the beginning of their journey, thinking about water, okay, realize, okay, the tap water is rough. I'm going to drink the bottled water. But the truth is the municipality can make the water much cleaner and cheaper. And so this is where that activism component comes out. Like it's better if you can kind of get to a city council meeting, talk Mm -hmm. with your municipality, Mm -hmm. get the water because they can make it for much cheaper. (laughs) You know, even a dollar bottle of water is much more expensive than these guys that are using, you know, massive amounts of water. And if we can get the right treatment techniques and get the infrastructure to be, you know, updated, you're, that's the best case scenario. You know, that's really like the heart of what we're trying to say in the book, Got it. you know, right. is like, let's get our, you know, cause this is what these systems are, are, are here for. And that's what they're supposed to do. Right. And, you know, and like you were saying about the water report, you're, you're supposed to get it every July. And so you can type in any city in this town, you know, your city water report and you should be able to find it. And if you can't, you also need to call them and talk to them and ask them where that report is. And and it's really important to pay attention to it. And this is super, super important. You know, we'll be looking for chemicals in the water, but keep an eye on your trihalomethanes. Mm -hmm. Keep an eye on your chlorination. I mean, these are big factors that could be leading to um, not only a toxic situation, but bacterial as well. And so watch out for those trihalomethanes. And we teach you in the book, you know, what to look for, how to read a water report. I have several people that sent me over some today and I'm like, oh no, this is, <laughs> no, no, no. When it comes to uh, the filtration, you know, uh, even when I think about moving somewhere out of LA where I might not have access to really pristine spring water and I think, oh man, filtration. So uh, there's a couple companies I recommend. I, I rep them on my website. There's one called Pristine Hydro. They make a travel case that doesn't have uh, a reserve tank. It's an RO system, but there's no holding I tank. Saw, I saw. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and then there's uh, there's AquaTrue, mm-hmm, which yes. we were talking about yep. earlier. That's a, a you know a countertop, kind of like a Brita, but a more badass one that's not a piece of shit like well, it's a Brita. Reverse osmosis, right? Um, and then there's um, there's a whole house filter a company called Ophora out of Santa Barbara that are just extremely fastidious about their whole process, mm-hmm. and they'll do your whole house. It'll cost you. A, the price of a small house to get it done. <laughs> um, do you have any other recommendations in terms of, of different brands? I know you signed off on the AquaTrue. Um, yeah, I wouldn't sign. I wouldn't uh, do any filtration. You can't filter your water if you don't know what's in it. Okay. Because like if you have PFOA, it needs a carbon. And if we'll, you have a TC, you'd need more of a resin. If you well, have we'll RO, six, if you're doing a reverse rever- osmosis, will that rever- take everything out? Yes. Okay. Because it's running through different layers of chambers of carbon and resins and coconut filtration. So most of any low level contaminant that could be in the water, it'll remove ammonia, chlorination. So you are getting better, right. cleaner. But if you're water. just working with one of those little countertop Brita or Pure filters, you're it's just not rough, doing especially if <laughs> you don't know what's in your water. You may just have overchlorination, and it will work just fine for reducing chlorine and, and odor. Right. So just there's just not one filter that fits anything. Now some states are starting to do some interesting stuff, and in Texas, and I'm watching how this is going to go. Um, encouraging people putting reverse osmosis systems on their homes and the state will give ginormous uh, tax breaks. And that's good legislation. Yes. That's smart. And we See, that's a win-win. To, I like that. Right. And I think- Because they're can, saving money. Right. right? We can, I think we can start getting there, especially now that the conversation is being right. had. Knowledge is power. 
I know all of this is frightening, but what I've learned and I want everyone else to learn, you don't have to have a PhD or a master's degree or be a doctor or scientist or anything else to be aware, to care about water, and to understand that has a direct impact on your health and welfare and your families and your community. And as we finally get through this, I don't know, maybe we are in that wake up point where we start making better legislation like that. We start seeing more governors like the one in Minnesota. And if we can do it federally and state and a local, but we're always waiting for it to trickle down. I think the change is going to start right here and work its way It's a bottom up, up thing. Yeah. Because yes. if we're, I guess this is the Superman, right? You're waiting for the right president to be elected and and you're thinking, oh, they're going to come save us. It's like the QAnon thing. Everyone, you know, this it's thing not. that, you know, Trump is the, he's actually, uh, you know, the Kennedy or, you know, the, yeah, I don't even the, know the QAnon thing really, but I saw some pretty far out theories and I'm like, wow. And even part of me is like, oh, maybe it's true, you know, but it just doesn't work like that. It, it works with the three of us doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. having a conversation. Someone listens to this. They take one small step at the local level, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have this kind of groundswell of, activism. And if not activism, at least someone taking their sovereignty and going, all right, I'm going to keep track of whatever water is coming into my body and into my kid's body. And like, there's Mm -hmm. your start. And then maybe that kid grows up with the knowledge of like, wow, you can't just trust all water. It's really important. We're made of it. And you got a kid that's like teaching the rest of the kindergartners that he's in school with like, hey, you guys, you really want to drink out of that fountain? My mom said, right? (laughs) So I, yeah. I think this is all Knowledge good stuff. Knowledge is power. And yeah. uh, we talk about that in the nine steps and getting curious and um, separating fact from fiction. And, you know, we end our nine steps with, you know, congratulating yourself for having the courage to, again, this is that moment of not trying to master nature or even our government, but rather oneself that's where the best protection and implementation, you know, implementing will come from you to your family, to your community, to your city council and all the way up. Love it. All right, yeah. ladies. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, <laughs> like every time did I, I, oh, did I hear an F-bomb come out of there? <laughs> no, no. Uh, every, slightly. <laughs> every time I do an interview, I'm like, this one will probably be about an hour, you know? And it's just like, I don't know <laughs> when I'm going to learn. No, 90 <laughs> minutes minimum, probably, probably two hours. Uh, but we, we, we do have things to do. So I'm going to cut it. And I feel like we've left people with some hope and some direction. Obviously, there is hope. Yeah. Obviously is. they can get Absolutely. the book. They can, you know, read all of these horror stories and also get those nine steps and start being proactive. Uh, but before we do get out of here, I have one last question for both of you. And that is who are three, uh, teachers or teachings that have influenced your life or your work? Mm. Like you're teaching us stuff. You're inspiring us. Who inspires you? Well, you want to go? Sure. Well, um, I studied with Julia Cameron, the artist way person. Oh, nice. And, <laughs> right. Um, and her work, um, writing morning pages every morning has been a huge thing in my life. And it's, it's a place that I can go to uh, with whatever's on, on my mind. And it's a very like cleansing practice for the mind. And it really helps me with my creativity, with my ability to write, with my ability to be with people. Um, so I always give her a shout out because she's just a wild awesome woman that, um, really taught me a lot. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, Rachel Carson, obviously for both of us is a huge influence. Silent Spring was a book based on one person writing to her about DDT and how it was going to kill the birds. And, you know, when I 
first started talking with Erin and heard that there were hundreds of people emailing her every day, I thought, wow, we really have a problem. But, you know, Rachel was was certainly a trailblazer as a woman writing, you know, mm-hmm. in a mostly male dominated science world. And so I really... Um, Not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, there's still hope. I know that was being cynical. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. And I, um, I mean, I have a lot of like, spiritual and, you know, teachers. I'm trying to think of just one, but um, I don't know. Do you have somebody that you want to go to? And I'll well, you, can, you can pardon one of yours off on, on air and that's <laughs> but, fine. Uh, mine is um, definitely without a shadow of a doubt. Um, generally over the course of 20 years watching moms mm. and their love and protection for their family, for themselves and how they rise up and, believe in themselves. Um, it's always amazed me. And everywhere I go, Roberta Walker in Hinckley, California has inspired me. Working with Suzanne and watching her as she went through the book inspires me. And seeing the moms of Hannibal and the moms of Tonganoxie, Kansas, every time I go, I could almost start crying because they're very inspirational and they show their courage and they believe in themselves. And it isn't easy, but uh, they set out... Um, to get in the game and they're going to stay in it and they understand they may get pushed back, but they get back up and they do it again. So there's countless moms. My mom, without a shadow of a doubt, my mom was my greatest cheerleader, um, taught me about stick to I just can't say enough about my mom and her believing in me that helped me believe in myself, especially with dyslexia. My father, um, he... Uh, you know, my dad is an interesting guy. He worked for industry. He ran the pipelines for Citigroup. And he used to sing me songs about water and tell me, you oh, know, wow. watch the water trickling down the stream. Enjoy it today for someday it might not be seen. Wow. I often wonder what he knew. Wow. But he implanted that. And he taught me that the greatest gifts we have is our health, our land, our air, our water, and our family. And... um the importance of integrity and telling the truth. And when we don't do that, we lose respect for each other. And then all is lost, my father. And a, a great surprise to me of one of my mentors is my youngest daughter, Elizabeth. So my first granddaughter was born with a syndrome called Emmanuel syndrome. And uh, a piece of chromosome 11 and chromosome 22 break, and they create a 47th chromosome. Uh, there's less than a thousand in the world and most of them fail to survive. They have wow. organ failure, uh, cleft palate. They don't walk. They don't talk. They don't thrive. And when we got that diagnosis and I saw my daughter's face, I've never seen anything like it. She's like, oh, hell to the no. Not this child. And Beth has never missed a beat, never missed a step, never given up hope. Over and over again has been there. Every therapy, she said, mom, I know, I know her. She can thrive. She has no organ failure. She will learn to walk. We can teach her to walk. Um, last year, Grace, in the, her little special Olympics, won the 100-yard dash. Oh, wow. And this is a wow. child that I watched my daughter never stop believing in and stayed with her through it all. Grace is starting to talk. She is going to thrive. And... At some level, I truly believe that has come from the sheer power of Elizabeth's love and determination and belief for her daughter. And she has become 
quite a surprise to me as a real unsung hero and inspiration in my life, not to mention my granddaughter, Grace. <laughs> wow. Very cool. That's so the power of the human spirit and the power of love. Uh, I will never stop believing in us. And I know we're going through a whole lot of times and things seem really dark. But I think as we wake up and we start to look at ourselves and our planet and forgive ourselves for our mistakes, but find that way to take the fork in the road and turn the tide. I think we're going to do it. Amen, sister. Mm -hmm. I really do. Thank you. What a beautiful ending. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really great to to sit down with Some you of my too. heroes. Yeah, <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know, it's funny because sometimes I ask that question and I'll, I think for a long time I went, you know, who are some of your inspirations, your teachings, et cetera, that our listeners might be able to go study? And people always don't do it. They're like, oh, my mom, Jesus, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking about like a book to read. So I'm going to stop phrasing it that way because these are really some of the best answers, the ones that are really personal like that. I thought you'd say, oh, Joe Dispenza or something like that. Oh, I love Joe Dispenza. No, um, I I did have a teacher affect me, uh, Kathy Borseth, greatly. Um, Again, but through the power of teaching and believing in me. As I said, I'm a dyslexic. I always fail the test. She came up one day and she said, you know, you always know the answer in class. What's going on? You fail the test. And I said, I have dyslexia. She never missed a beat. She goes, hmm, that's interesting. So if I ask you this test, you know, give it to you orally, will you know the answers? So I said, oh, hell yeah. She goes, I'm going to scramble it. I'm like, yeah. She gave me the test. I knew all the answers. And again, she said, well, you know what? Just sometimes people think differently. I think you know plenty. She said, so here's what I'm going to do. For the rest of the semester, we're just going to give you your test orally. And she did. And not only did that change my self-esteem and my belief in myself, but it changed my GPA. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm forever thankful to her. But she, I don't know why we all think we have to be in this so-called box. Um, she was open and forgiving and believing and was rooted in what she saw. And knew that I could learn and was willing to make negotiations to get me through. So I did have a great teacher. That's amazing. Kathy Borseth. Awesome. God bless Kathy. Yeah. Wherever she may be. And and again, um, wisdom and things that they can impart. So, yeah. yeah, You know, I like the book Superman's Not Coming. Thanks thanks for joining us. It will uh, inspire others. Those watching on uh, YouTube or elsewhere, the video version of this podcast, here is the book. I recommend that you get it. Uh, Any other websites we need to know about? Any links you want to throw out? Of course, we put them all in the show notes, but in case someone's listening right now and they're like, ooh, I want to dive in. Links for the book? No, just links for your site. Anything you guys are doing, you want to shout out? Social media following, et cetera. Um, Rockovich.com, right? Is where oh, duh. Yeah, I've been, I've been talking for <laughs> Thank you. Thing. Where, Thank you. where would you find it's me? kind of how this works, Aaron. <laughs> I'm usually running around. Oh, yeah, you can always email me, Aaron at Brockovich.com. My website's Brockovich.com. Okay. Have a podcast, Superman's Not Coming. I'm really happy for the book. Um, cool. I am a little excited about a future pro uh, thing. Um, have a television series that I am mm-hmm. executive producer of. It's inspired by me. Um, but it's about everybody. And I've learned that <laughs> nothing, there is no I, it's always a we. And um, ABC bought the series and Katie Seagal is playing Rebel 
which oh, is cool. the name of the series with Andy Garcia. And it's going to be a great platform where, as we've done here today, entertainment has its space, right? These conversations of where people can look at that and not always be in the stress of someone else or an expectation and go, gosh, I could do that. Is that really happening? Oh my gosh, let me look that up. Um, that helps us ask questions of ourselves through film and television. So I am looking forward to, um, the show is called Rebel. Cool. Congratulations. That's a good name. Damn, you're up to Rebel. a lot of good stuff. Rebel with a cause. <laughs> so um, I think that's it. All right, awesome. I, I don't know what else to do. That's yeah. it. Let's uh, call it. Thanks yeah. for joining us, ladies. Thanks. Great to uh, meet both of you and spend some time. And uh, I look forward to following your work. Well, we're going to be curious where you land uh, and uh, find that prestige water. And Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got my eye on Sedona right now. Sedona's now, I, lovely. I, I have not. There is a great spring there. No, I've not had the spring tested, but the town's been drinking that spring for God knows how long. And everyone seems to be pretty healthy there. <laughs> But that Sedona is, one of, is very spiritual. Yeah, I love I'm, I'm pretty out Sedona. there. I'm, I'm dressed conservatively in my jeans and t-shirt today, but I'm <laughs> I'm I'm pretty new agey, so I think I'll fit in. But we're going to give it a test run, and you know, to escape the election fallout in Los Angeles. Uh, Are you no- going to take a break? Yeah, in November. Yeah, and so we're going to see. We're going to pretend live there and see if we like it. Yeah. You're going to have a TV. Uh, I'm going to bring my computer and do some work. You know, I won't be able to resist the news. (laughs) I I like to think I'm just going to ignore it, but I can't. I'll I'll have to keep track. It's just we're in unprecedentedly, if that's a word, weird times. Like it's just it's never been stranger. So I. Oh, that's so funny you said that word. Did you see that skit on Saturday Night Live? Oh yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) They used that word unprecedentedly. Yeah, they didn't pronounce it correct, and then they were correct. Is that actually a word though? I don't even know. Unprecedented, but they say God damn it. <laughs> and they said unprecedented. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> which is actually a perfect it's a term for skit. this Look moment. it up. All right. All right. All right. We got to get out of here. Thanks, right. ladies. Thank you. Until Thank we you. meet again. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Check it out. If you enjoyed this episode and derived some benefit and knowledge from it, and you think that a couple friends or family members might do the same, please take it upon yourself to shoot a text or an email or share on social media the link to this very episode. You'll be making a huge contribution, not only to this show, but to the world at large. If you want to get all of the show notes, links, and transcripts to each and every episode, email directly to your inbox every Tuesday and sometimes Fridays. Here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. lukestory.com slash newsletter. Enter your name and best email. And I'm going to shoot you an email each and every week with all of the pertinent information discussed in each episode. Now, if you have a United States phone, I've made it even easier. You can just shoot me a text. Open your text app right now. Check it out. I mean, you don't have to do this, but if you want to make it easy, do this. Open the text app, enter the number 44222, and then text the word lifestylist, all one word. So again, on a US phone, you're going to text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. All right, let's talk about next week's episode. I mean, this was a doozy, but in next week's episode, we get very focused on TMJ, jaw pain, and substance P, the missing link in dentistry with Dr. Dwight Jennings and... uh, This one is a really interesting show, I promise you, and I can't wait to share it. Uh, I thought I knew a bit about holistic dentistry, and turns out there's this whole other can of worms when it comes to your jaw alignment. So I went to see Dr. Jennings up in Oakland, California, 
And uh, we did an exam and I thought, I'm going to be looking great. He's going to tell me, you know, he's going to give me the stamp of approval and say, you're all good. And I was not. In fact, uh, next week, there's also a bonus show the same day that comes out, which is the audio and video of said exam. So if you're someone who suffers from mysterious problems that you can't fix, it might just be rooted in your jaw. So join us next week to make sure that you don't miss next week's episode or any episode to follow in the near future. Just subscribe to the show. It makes it super easy. Every episode will be downloaded to your device. Let's thank our sponsors without whom this episode and frankly, uh, every episode of this show would be impossible. It takes funding to uh, pay the team to get this thing out and make it hopefully as professional and digestible as possible. So I'm extremely thankful for you, the listeners that are able and willing to support our sponsors. And for those of you that aren't, again, just share the episode with a friend and don't spend any money. I'm a huge fan of that as well. Like I always say, all the best biohacks are free. So if you don't want to spend money on supplements and biohacking gadgets, then there's many things you could do. Perhaps I'll do a show on it. That's a good idea for a show. All the best free biohacks. Uh, the problem is with the free ones is they require much more discipline and sacrifice than just popping a pill or standing in front of a red light therapy device uh, like our sponsor's Juve Cell. So if you want to check out the red light therapy uh, because you're too lazy to get out in the morning and evening sun every day or you don't live somewhere where that happens, uh, here's what you do. Go to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke. J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke. Enter the code Luke at checkout and something awesome happens. Uh, Red light therapy is one of my all-time favorite healing modalities. I'm actually recording this from Sedona, Arizona at the moment, and I do not have my Juve unit with me, and I miss it, man, honestly. Now, I have been getting up every morning and doing my breath work and getting some morning sun, so that's been wonderful, but man, it's really nice to have the power of red light, which is really kind of a, a, a mimicking of a spectrum of light that exists naturally from the sun. But to be able to have that on demand in your house is really cool. So juve.com slash Luke. And then our friends over at Sovereignty. These guys make some fantastic supplements and they really don't do discounts, but they have a holiday discount going on right now. That's holiday 2020. I'm not sure what day it ends, but I'm assuming through December, something like that. You can go to sovereignty.co slash Luke. That's sovereignty.co slash Luke. And the uh, code there is Luke20 for 20% off. That's spelled S-O-V-E-R-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O, Sovereignty. For me personally, the hardest word in the English language to spell. I, I've been trying to spell it for months and I can't, but I can say it, Sovereignty. There you go. It's funny because it's a principle that I really revere, but one that I can't spell. Uh, over at Sovereignty, you want to check out their dream product. It's great for just calming down, relaxing, or sleeping, or their other product, which is called Purpose. And I wish I had one of those right now because I got a lot of recording to do. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about our third and final sponsor. That would be JustThriveHealth.com. That's JustThriveHealth.com. The discount code for you, my friend, over there is Luke15. That's JustThriveHealth.com. These guys make some fantastic spore-based probiotics. They uh, are very effective at getting your gut in tip-top shape. And with that, my friends, I'm going to bid you farewell. Thank you again so much for joining me on this episode, man. As I always say in these outros, I'm just so blessed to have the life that I have to be able to support all of these amazing brands and products. And also, of course, more than anything, to have the opportunity to sit down and have conversations 
with two brilliant women like we did in today's show. So thank you for being a fly on the wall, for being a part of this conversation, and I will be back in your ears next Tuesday. <laughs>